0: what's up everyone before we start the show i wanted to acknowledge the passing of enrique aka reek from new jersey bloodline as well as riley from power trip um rest in peace and uh my thoughts are with their friends and family um hardcore is is an interesting thing i feel like uh you know if you've been involved in a while everyone's like two steps away at minimum, from uh, someone you know. So uh, a lot of people are are feeling real sad today for the loss of both those dudes. Um, and so I'm going to think a nice thought for their friends and families. And uh, everyone should pick up the phone and give a call to a friend they haven't talked to in a while. Let them know you love them because uh, you never know when people are going to not be here. So uh, let's do that. And, uh, yeah, rest in peace. What's up, everyone? This week on the pod, I got Corey Williams of Stand Your Ground, Carry On, Piece by Piece, Internal Affairs, Manipulate, Absolute Madness, Wounds, all your favorite bands. And, uh, yeah, it's a nice long podcast. It was great catching up with Corey, getting his origin story, and going through a bunch of these bands. It's super long, and we're going to have to do a part two that I'm looking forward to a lot. So that'll be coming to you soon. Um, Please support the podcast by subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. On Apple Podcasts, give a subscribe. On Spotify, subscribe. You know, you can do this. And then please, uh, you know, give it a five-star rating or a like or a review. Wherever, you know. If you can take the 20 seconds to give it a review, that is much appreciated. If you'd like to go the extra mile, go to patreon.com slash 185 south become a monthly patreon there's bonus podcasts basically anytime we do an interview um i i get a couple people together we go into the discography of whoever we interview so there's bonus content um right now probably two a month or you know one every other week something like that so i think you'll enjoy that but uh yeah patreon.com slash 185 miles south and let's get on with the show
1: 185
2: miles south, a hardcore punk rock podcast.
0: What's up, everyone? This week on the pod, we have Corey Williams of Carry On, Piece by Piece, Internal Affairs, and all your other favorite bands. What's going on, dude?
1: Yo, what's up, man? Good to, good to be on the pod.
0: Long-time listener, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Long-time listener. First-time caller. What's up? <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah, so I've known you for a long time, so this is always good when, uh, you know, you got some natural banter going on, and uh, it is good to have you on here. Cuz, know known you forever. Yeah, man. So you can't get away with lying I mean, to me for- and shit.
1: Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't know. What was it? I, w- I would say 97 is... Probably a realistic year of when we met.
0: Yeah, yeah, I would agree. Um, like, like, go ahead.
1: Go ahead it sorry. was before standing ground. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, like uh, you know, fucking. I think I met all you dudes at the ten yard fight show at Pickle Patch,
0: which would have been ninety seven, right? Cause because that
1: was ninety seven,
0: ninety eight.
1: Yeah. I, eyelid Battery 10-Hour Fight Pickle Patch They also played Showcase on that tour But we were already friends With Zarian And uh, the Ojai dudes And um, It's like Met a few of you That night And then it was like The next day I heard from Todd Jones And then He was up In Newberry Park Hanging out I came down to Oxnard To hang out You know um, But yeah I mean It's cool It's cool that we have You know 23 years of history. Fucking
0: yeah. awesome. Yeah, I agree. Um but going back even further cuz like it's kind of interesting cuz you don't do a hardcore band till like 98, but you you got into hardcore in, in what the early 90s?
1: Yeah, so I would say I'll say 92. Okay. Um so I, I was born in the valley. My parents moved us to Moore Park. More Park was like a real dull town. Like, there's a little community college. Um, you know, a lot of migrant farm workers live there, and uh, nothing really cool happened. We did a lot of bad shit, got in trouble, you know, got arrested stealing bikes when I was 10. Good job. And then um, I think when I was 10, also, like, I was into gangster rap. Like, I, I had a babysitter that gave me a, a cassette of N.W.A. and Too Short. And it was like, I don't know what the fuck this is. I don't know what it means. But it's awesome. And then I remember I got in really big trouble at school. I was singing Two Live Crew on the playground. So (laughs) uh, yeah, whatever. You know, what do I know about Hey We Want Some Pussy? I'm like 11 years old. Me me So
0: Horny was fucking a huge song. And like Oh, if you're dude, if you're ten yeah. or eleven, that is that tickles you in the right spot. Like what the fuck?
1: Yeah, um, I'm, I'm, you know, I don't even know if I discovered my thing yet, you know.
2: Yeah. But
1: uh, so I liked rap, and then I don't remember exactly what which comes first, but when Public Enemy and Anthrax do bring the noise, my aunt worked at a record store, and she got me. Attack of the Killer Bees by Anthrax, which is that's where the song got released. And all of a sudden, I'm like, "What the fuck is this?" And uh, I didn't know, you know, there's genres like I just this Anthrax shit's crazy. <laughs>
2: yeah,
1: Milk was my favorite. Milk was my favorite song. You know, sure. I'm a kid. You're singing about fucking cereal and whatever. But uh, and then. Nirvana, "Teen Spirit" comes out on MTV, and I was just like, "This is the coolest thing ever!" Like, I, I don't even know if it was the music or if it was just the imagery.
0: Yeah, the you know, video like, is uh, wild. The video is wild, right? Dude,
1: dude, anarchy cheerleaders, and it's fucking so cool. So, right around this time, we moved to Newbury Park. Um and first day of school, obviously I don't know anyone. But I'm I was into skateboarding. I like was really really heavy into skateboarding. Uh, like got my first skateboard in '84, and and skateboarding was life. And, but in the same turn, like I didn't really pay attention to the music in videos. I just was only focused on the skating. Like it just this background music. So I moved to this new town. And of course, because I'm wearing you know like a Plan B T-shirt or who knows what some kind of skateboarding paraphernalia, instantly the skaters come up to me like, "Oh, who are you?" You know, like you know what do you do? Okay, cool. You know, find us at lunch. And uh, right off that, people were cool. Like, I, I don't I don't know if that happens anymore. I feel like everyone's got a chip on the shoulder, even at young ages. But for whatever reason, these kids were fucking super cool well let's, let's and, talk about um, that
0: cory let's wax poetic i think that that's because <clears throat> maybe everything is accessible now right like you can be into everything and read about it on the internet where back then like you kind of latch on to one thing and so you find like these common bonds with other people that decided to latch onto the same thing
1: i mean perfect example back then i mean even like not when you're a kid even teenager young 20s you know, you saw a dude in a hardcore shirt, you'd say, What's up? If you didn't like go up and like say hello and meet them, you, you know, give them a nod or, or whatever. And it was like, Oh, cool. We're in the same shit. Like now I see someone in a hardcore shirt. Like, you know, you just, you just don't like even, even someone who's, you know, knows better doesn't do that shit anymore. You know, so it's kind of fucked up. But that's exactly it. So, um, the first guy I meet is this dude, Greg. He's one of my best friends now to this day. And, and we did everything together, all the way through school and, and everything. But so right off the bat, I think he had uh, suicidal tendencies, lights, camera, and he was like, yo, let's trade cassettes. So I gave him uh, anthrax. He gave me suicidal. And that blew my mind. Fucking. Mind blowing. I mean, to hear that the first time and, and in comparison to anything else. So, next thing, uh, one of those dudes gives me Seasons of the this. Now my mind's exploding. Like it's just getting better and better every time I trade a cassette with somebody. <laughs> and, um, you know, and uh, so all within this this first year, this was like eighth grade, 92, I think, Um, you know, I got used to today, uh, Gorilla Biscuits, Minor Threat, um, and uh, a bunch of other bands. And um, I think uh, the main person was Andrew, the drummer of Eyelid. Uh, He he was an insane drummer and eyelid wasn't a band yet, but for some reason he, he knew about things before we did, but I think he was like, he's like a perfectionist. Like, you know, like when we're just watching skate videos and be like, Oh, that trick was crazy. He was probably picking up on every band that played in every part. And you know what I mean? Like he just, he knew about shit.
0: Yeah. He's one of those dudes. Just one of those dudes.
1: Yeah. So he, he was, you know exposing us all to more than just what was on the surface and um so that was really cool at the same time too my mom worked with a lady and um you know she tells this lady like oh yeah my kid's like into this like punk hardcore stuff and she's like old school punk chick like i don't know what year she got into it but you know she was definitely a lot older than me and um she knew about everything so you know i, I, don't, I don't know if it was like a memorex tape or something but dude she gave me like a two-hour like compilation cassette and it fucking had everything you could think of on it i mean you know it had husker do it had ssd minor threat circle of jerks i mean you name it and and it was on this cassette so now I'm like really learning about like history, but because things not readily available, where the fuck do you find this shit? Right. You know, um, we had a we had a local record store, um, and they didn't really like keep punk shit in stock. Like they didn't carry stuff from like typical record labels, but they usually had some. Really cool used records. So you can find used stuff there every once in a while. And then eventually uh, we found, I think it was called Best Records in Simi Valley. And they carried everything. They carried all the Rev, Victory, um, New Age. Uh, they carried all that stuff. So we started kind of like finding out about things on our own once we started shopping there. Uh, my dad always lived in Oxnard. And, um, so every once in a while he'd take me to Salzers, and I'd I'd find something there. Um, but, uh, most of it at this point is just trading cassettes. Yeah. You um, never
0: went to the second story on Salzers, though, and bought a bong.
1: Yeah, no, no, no bongs. (laughs) Um, but, uh, but I wasn't straight edge. I didn't do anything, but I never... Playing I didn't understand it yet. And like I knew like you don't just say you're something you're not, you know. Right. Um, I knew I didn't like alcohol, like Booze was around all the time. I wouldn't say any of my parents were alcoholics. Like, I don't know. Maybe my dad wasn't, maybe he wasn't, I'm not sure. But, you know, like he'd be having a beer and instead of like going to get me something be like here take a swig and it was disgusting so i knew i didn't like beer and then there was a few other times that he had a shitty girlfriend and and she'd pass me a drink and it would have liquor in it and just wasn't into it so I, i didn't like drinking but that doesn't say like you know maybe i would like it later i don't know or so we move on to high school and um now there's like it's weird because now I go from like the small group of people who are into cool shit. Like the skaters was, there was like two, two groups of skaters. They were all friends, but a little bit different. Like there was the hardcore skaters, but then there was like uh, the other skaters that we'd chill with and skate with. But like, they were more into like, some of them did drugs, but they listened mostly like death metal. So, that was also like first exposure to you know uh Sepulture and D Aside and and uh I remember this one kid like he loved he loved death. It was just like Slayer sucks because they don't know how to play guitar. <laughs> the dude in death is a real guitar player and it's like, yo, that's, it sounds cool to me, I don't give a fuck.
0: That's a pretty but, high um, bar. It's a pretty high bar to set. If you can't play like Chuck you're he, you're fucking sorry?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, it's like, yeah, it's crazy. Like, everyone's supposed to be the best guitar player on earth. Get out of here.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. But, so we move on to high school, and uh, there's, like, weird factions of, like, different groups. And I don't know any of them yet, and I, I'll start meeting them, because almost all of them skate also. So it's like you catch them at the park or, or what skate spot we're at. And, and, um, so I think the first, the first group of dudes I kind of meet are, um, these dudes in, in this band Rainchild. And, um, some of those dudes would go on to, to do Countervail, But, uh, those are the guys we first meet. And, um, they're not like, I, I guess they're, they they were more like, typical hardcore dudes at the time because they weren't so narrow minded like they listened to like all kinds of different types of music like anything that was like on the ground they they would listen to like they were very open-minded they were super cool and um and then uh we also met this dude Russ, who became, who was the singer of eyelid mm-hmm. and um and then there was a couple other guys. Uh, I think they were like into graffiti or something, but we knew that they were hardcore dudes as well.
0: Corey, were the, and, were uh, the, were the Strauser brothers in Rainchild?
1: No. So Rainchild was. Um, fuck it. I not remember everyone who was in the band. Casey was a singer. Casey was the singer. Okay. Was the singer. Uh, this dude, Nate played guitar who he played in countervail at one point, I think maybe in the later era of the band.
2: Okay.
1: Uh, a buddy, Hugo, um, and this dude, Ray. And, uh, so they were just these awesome dudes that, that, you know, went to shows and, and stuff. And then, but I didn't know about going to shows yet. like, I knew that they skated. I knew that they liked cool music. I didn't know that going to see these bands was like a thing yet. You know what I mean? You didn't just pull up YouTube and and like watch a video. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, But now here's where the Strauss brothers kind of come in. So Chris, the younger one, he's like a year or two younger than me. Um, And Nick's the same age. So something happens and Nick and Chris lives in Thousand Oaks, which is the neighboring town. And um, for some reason, Nick starts coming to our school. Now, this is like my game-changing moment, mind-blowing thing. So he's just like, oh, yeah, cool, you know, check this out. And he gives me a cassette of Integrity, Those Who Fear Tomorrow, and Ringworm, The Promise. Fucking my head is exploding with how – the shit is like it's just unreal it's apex so yeah oh dude i mean it because this is also like you know we're listening you know like on any like cassette tape someone makes you like say this one makes you like a comp comp tape you know it's like you've got firestorm you got undertow it might have a song from ashes gorilla biscuits you know so the hardcore is so weird and 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 diverse at the time,'cause it was it was the same thing, like it it wasn't sub genres and you know all these bands were like on the same type of label, so it was it was kind of wild that it was all you know deemed hardcore, yeah, yeah. because you know you're young, you don't really know what the difference of any of the shit is. You just know that it you know it does something different to you, you know and um so Nick becomes kind of the person that like, I'm really diving into his world now now the Strouser brothers they were like they were already kind of like in with the whole like one truth crew like all the strife dudes and and the Canevo Valley guys and at this point I didn't even know Strife was local. Like, I didn't know they were from our town. Um, like, like they played some shows, but once again, like I said, like I didn't know shows were around. They, they weren't happening. I didn't see flyers. I think it was more in our area. It was kind of word of mouth. Like, if you knew somebody, you knew where to go and where to be. Um, so, I didn't really meet anybody, but they had like, a different outlook on cool bands, like like I think they might have been where I heard Chain of Strength for the first time. Um, but next one that exposed me to power violence, once again, mind blowing. He gives me a copy of the Infest LP. Once again, like not now we're we're talking like top three bands records of time for me like obviously with like the bands I've been in I mean you can tell the influence but, but Infest was the number one and then uh, not the sidestep but like so I'm in class with him and hanging out with him and uh, this dude Mike Harley yeah he was just a dude that skated he had parties and he had bands play at his house um and he had become straight edge sometime just before like I became friends with him. Like I we always heard like, you know, he did shit, but I never thought it. It from from my friendship with him, like as long as I knew him, he had been straight edge. And um I really started discovering some stuff with him because I don't know if it was brand new to him too or whatnot, but he was a, a few years older and uh, um, he would drive us to record stores and you just buy anything that has a picture that looks like a hardcore dude. If a dude's got an X on his hand, you buy it. You know, if you, you see a t-shirt they're wearing, you buy it. And so Mike, who later becomes the singer of Countervale, he he definitely exposed me to another different side of things. Like now I'm, I'm listening to more, uh, European bands, like a lot of like the, the Ume straight edge hardcore scene was that Norway, you know, like, um, or Sweden, excuse me. Uh, you know, like Refused, shield final exit, um, which final exits like another band that I love. And, um, And I discovered Converge from him. And then, uh, so now it's like, now the world is getting extra metal. You know what I mean? Like, way crazy, different than everything. Um, Around this time, I found uh, AF, Cause for Alarm, Victim in Pain split CD for 99 cents at the local, like, used record store insane unreal um funny i think i got uh it might have been like the later years of high school i scored like a copy of like best wishes mags, and i was just like the fuck this is just butt rock shit <laughs> and then years later you i learned otherwise but i thought it was just some weird metal shit that i couldn't get around harley's voice eventually when i heard age of quarrel I got more into it, and then uh, found my way back to Best Wishes just because the production is so perfect. But um, back to high school, um, so like Nick, uh, Russ from Eyelid like they were they were on the inside circle with with uh, Andrew and Greg and. And a couple of these other dudes, this, uh, this dude, Jim Bates, who ended up becoming a professional skateboarder, mind blowing skater. But, um, we were kind of like our little skate circle. We were the dudes that were really, really into hardcore. There were some other people too, that, um, later would kind of fit into, um, but, uh, I think it was 95 was finally the first like real show. I've been to, like a couple of little small, like local things, but the first real show is, uh, drive Snapcase, undertow ignite 1134 and pale fire at, um, lost Palmas theater in Hollywood. Jesus. And, um, this, I mean, the lineup was stacked. The venue was, was a little weird. Um, because it was like a, like a real theater. Like it had seating, like it was like for a stage for plays, but they had removed enough rows of seats where like, there was like a pit area in front. And, um, I don't know the exact time frame, but, um, they either filmed the one truth video, uh, the strife video for victory. It was either like just before that, or that was the first show. Of everything that they filmed for So like there's some footage in, of that show In there and it's like Crazy All the bands were, were so fucking amazing And um that, That's when night I I meet everyone Because now it's like Um You know like oh hey this is Rick from Stripe this is Andrew from Stripe this is Sid Sid from Stripe this is blah blah blah, blah. You know like so and so you're with so and so From the same town so now you're oh, you're so-and-so friend? Cool. Hey, what's up? Hey, what's up? So, I'm meeting everyone from, like, my hometown that I didn't know was from, like, my home area. It was so weird, you know. And then, kind of starstruck, you know, you're a high school kid, and you're watching these bands that are blowing your mind, and you're, like, hanging out with them, but, like, not friends with anyone from that. It was just, like, cool that you meet them. And then um, 95 becomes kind of crazy because I got lucky. I didn't have a curfew. Like the rule with my mom was, as long as I know where you are, what time you're going to be home, and that you're up at, you know, six whatever in the morning to be on time for school, I don't give a shit. I'm sure it might not have been worded so loosely, but it was it worked. So we were driving to places like showcase theater, the Riverside and barn, the, uh, the barn in Riverside, uh, the living room in Goleta, uh, Jerry's pizza and Bakersfield. We're doing these drives on weekdays, you know, and LA traffic's terrible. Getting to the inland empire is a nightmare. So, you know, sometimes it's two, three hours each way, and but whatever, any anything for the cause. You know, the there wasn't really local shows. There would end up being some some kind of epic local shows, but they were few and far between, like less than a handful. And um, and I remember I worked at a grocery store, and Sid from Strife was shopping and he looks at me and he's just like do I know you? I was like uh, well we met I saw your band last night he's like you saw us in at the showcase last night I said yeah and I answered it like it was normal like that was like the common thing you did <laughs> yeah, like yeah, yeah. You, you drive to the fucking end of the earth to go see a band and uh, from that point on Sid was Treated me awesome. Um, he he worked at a skate shop, so we'd go and hang out at the skate shop with him. Um, he got me to some shows for free, um, and he just he treated me really good. And through that, you know, I kind of became better friends with um, with Andrew. We I felt like we hung out at Andrew's apartment every day. We probably didn't, but it sure feels like that in my memories, and um, uh, like their roadies, like Tony, Justin, and Austin, um, Jesse, Austin, excuse me, and uh, you know, just you. Now you see people around town. Everywhere you go, you see someone you know, and now it's like it's really dialing in on like what this is you know what I mean like how cool and to be a part of something that's epic you know and um
0: yeah and it really it really does feel like a, a part of something when you're young like you are looking for like a a belonging right and a flag to fly
1: yeah because it's, it's like now you're meeting people from other towns like uh, um I don't know if this is maybe I don't know what year but like not straight too far Like there was a house show And we went to the house show Because I think Strife Was supposed to play Maybe they did Maybe they, I, I don't really remember But that band Insurgents played And this is the first time I'm seeing Insurgents And I met Vic Galindo From Collision One Choice And um, He drove Like fucking Three hours from where the fuck He lives in the desert To come see a house show On a weekday so now like I've become really good friends with Dick and Louie, you know, start seeing them at all the shows and stuff. And, and now it's so crazy that like you're a high school kid and you're making friends with people from towns you've never even fucking heard of. You couldn't find them on a map. But like they're into what you're into and, and you know they're cool because of it, you know. yeah, um, Yeah, I mean,
0: you're you're drawn to the people that have like the same psycho dedication that you do, right? Like, Oh, that guy drove from like Temecula all the way to this house show. Like that's the same shit as me driving from here to Jerry's pizza. So like this guy, I got something in common with him.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, uh, like I said, I don't know exact timeframes, but now like eyelid jumping off, like they're playing shows all the time. So we're going out everywhere we can to see eyelid. Um, and uh, so now it's like in our area, you got Eyelid Strife, and uh, Insurgents, and um, all these bands are fucking awesome, putting on amazing shows, meeting more people. Luckily, you know, when you know people in the band, you just meet more people, it's just easier, you know. And, I think that's just being fortunate. You just happen to be growing up with somebody that you, you know, it makes it easier to meet people or whatever. And it, maybe it was just, I'm a little more outgoing or I don't know, but I felt like I was timid at the time. Um, so.
0: Corey, let's talk about that first show that you went to, um, to circle back to it. like, Cause you, sure. you say, you say all the bands are awesome, but like, what did it feel like sonically to you? Cause like you've been listening to extreme music for a few years now. And now like you get to see it live and you know, anyone listening to this podcast and you and me, of course we know that like it is the best setting for this music. In fact, like without that it, oh. it would lose a lot. So what, what does it feel like being in the room and how much to, like, are you taken aback by it? Do you participate the first night or are you just like, like kind of in awe?
1: Yo, my mind's still blown. Like, I don't think I really moved from my spot. Like, participating, like, I wasn't interested in, like, figuring out what moshing was or, or stage diving. Like, my jaw was on the floor seeing these bands, you know. Um, like, like, Ignite, I, I don't know how long Zoe had been in the band, maybe he was, like, recently in the band. But, like, hearing that shit, I was just like, this is, this sounds so crazy. This dude's voice is, is insane. You know, like, I, I, I was expecting, you know, some guys to scream, but it was so different. Um, and then I don't remember the, the lineup of the bands. I want to say maybe, maybe Undertow headline. Fuck, I don't know, but, um, Strife was the craziest thing you could ever imagine. Of course, there was a dog. Yeah. Oh, you cool. Um. So at one point, there's a dog pile, <laughs> and the dog pile is probably taller than your average person. There, were, there was probably like 30 people on this pile, and uh, I remember after the show, Rick saying, like, I'm overhearing him, like, telling somebody that. That he thought he was his lungs were being crushed, like he was gonna fucking die under there. He was biting (laughs) someone's leg. Try to get people off of him because he couldn't move his arms (laughs) to push them off, or whatever. So his only reaction was, I need to fucking bite this person to save my fucking life. (laughs) This went feral. So you know, so I'm like, I'm here initially. Guys, fucking crazy! He's fucking biting people. What the fuck? Yeah, yeah. and uh, my 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 memory of Snapcase, like I really liked that Looking Glass self record, and um, seeing them live they sounded great, but I don't really remember if it was like super wild. I'm sure it was, but I remember Undertow, like four piece. They were just fucking they were pretty wild for a four piece and they still sounded good. And I, I, I think I remember like I, I was expecting strife to be insane, but I didn't know what to expect. Like I'm pretty sure I had heard undertow, but, but maybe I wasn't that familiar. So it was, it was like a newer eye-opening experience, like seeing them live. So that show was just like, that was a, that was, the best gateway drug ever because it was like, if you went to that show and you didn't need more, like you were definitely in the wrong lifestyle. Like you're either deaf or blind <laughs> and just didn't have a, didn't have a heartbeat or something. I don't know.
0: Yeah. I think that's so a good, that, way. That's a good that way to show put it though. Like a gateway drug. Like, cause it's like, you are slamming heroin the first time and like the rest of your life, you're like chasing that dragon. Like, how can I see a oh, show that's like that packed, that gnarly, with a lineup that like
1: thick, you know,
0: just going. Yeah. For it. It,
1: and I think it like sets the standard of like what you should expect from bands. live. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you see strife and they're flying through the air. Guitars are flying fucking Rick's bleeding everywhere. And they still sound good. And then you see another band and it's like, they got cement shoes. No one looks excited. And it's like, I don't really care how good of music they play. Like if you don't look like you're having fun, enjoying it and you're not full of energy, like why should I give you that in return? You know? And so I think that like set the bar really high for what to expect out of bands.
2: Yeah. For sure. know, but it was
1: also crazy because, like, that venue was big. Like, I, I don't remember how many people were there, obviously, but there was probably like a thousand people squeezed into that theater. You know, probably didn't hold a thousand, but there was, you know, probably a thousand in there or something. And uh, not every show is going to be that big. And um, I think maybe the next show I go to would be at the Macondo in Hollywood on Melrose, like the rougher side of Melrose. I mean, before Hollywood got nice and it was literally like a tiny little storefront with a tiny little stage and you're literally packed like sardines. So it was cool to see a more realistic side of hardcore, you know, like your, your average show is going to be more like this. Right, you're
0: seeing both both ends of it, and you love both.
1: Yeah, so now it's like the stage is like a foot tall or something, and you're, you're literally breathing the show. You know what I mean? Between the sweat being poured on you by everyone else and, you know, fucking the singer's grabbing hold of you and screaming in your face and you're screaming back and and uh, I don't really remember at what point I became like super active at shows like stage diving and stuff I, I think it was more just like when our friends bands played like say like Island and stuff we'd be up front sing along for them and then maybe it was a little timid and and sat back to see you know who these other bands were and, and and obviously like you know it's hardcore like bands have their own groups of friends and their own groups of friends all act differently depending on you know the style of the band or maybe the particular town you're in uh the venue you're at so we didn't really know exactly what was like the correct behavior for all time, you know. Like, I didn't know you, you know, you staged over at every band and everything. You know, I, I didn't know that yet. Um, yeah,
0: and also like mid nineties hardcore is is pretty clicky. So like, what you're saying makes sense. You know, like you put on for your friends' bands to try to make them, not to try to make them. You love them, but you're you're supporting your friends' bands to make them look good too. Like up front singing along for mm-hmm. them.
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, it's just it's just what you did. And um I remember uh we went to see Strife and Warzone at Showcase and um I remember all the butt like 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 Nick Strauser and and Andrew was just like, like, Yo, you guys gotta watch Warzone. I don't think I actually even heard Warzone yet or no, what what year did the what was it the Sound Revolution on Victory? What year did that record come out? I think ninety six. That might have been. It might. This might have been the tour to support that record. It was, and I remember, I remember it's,
0: it's my it's my number one show regret ever because uh, it was right oh. before I drove, and so they were that show was going to be in Santa Barbara, and it got it got shut down. Oh. It got shut down before the show, and then like I didn't have a ride to showcase, so then I never saw Warzone. Because that was the last time they were yeah, I
1: mean, well no warzone came out one more time with the business the oh next year.
0: I was thinking it was the business show that's what it was
1: I mean mi- that's no, the one I missed so yeah. y- you might be talking 95 so maybe, so maybe yeah this might be like late 95 so um so we go to the show show's awesome you know this is the this is also the first time that like I didn't really see it but now I'm hearing about like boneheads at shows you know like nazis like I, I didn't know like what band shirts to look for other than like you know dude has got swastika on his arm or something and i remember rabies had said something on stage and like being a little jew dude i was just like oh my god this dude is this dude's great he's calling out people fucking you know so it was one thing that like Strife being a straight edge band. I can't really remember Rick other than obviously their T shirts and, and their songs and stuff being about Straight Edge. But Rick was always one that spoke about unity. And everything was always about unity. And um now, you know, I'm seeing this dude rabies up there. Same thing on a whole different kind of level because now it's like now I'm seeing like a real difference in a crowd. Like this now all these skinheads and I don't know what's traditional, what's not traditional, neo-Nazi, bonehead, fucking, you know, dickheads and shit. But Warzone was incredible. And like, it was like the next day I was working at the mall and Andrew's at the mall with Warzone. And it's like, oh, hey, Corey, what's up? And I'm like, fuck is Warzone doing in my fucking mall? <laughs> so, and, rad. Uh, so rad. Dude, yeah, and uh and I don't know how long Ray had been straight edge at this point, but we were wearing I was wearing a um our friend Ian had made these uh a triple X like knockoff shirts. It was like the the triple Auto Club but it said triple x like canado valley straight edge or something like that and it was just like to rep for the local area and um ray had to have one so dude i run back to work i start making all these phone calls at the time i think we had pagers still on on cell phones so like fucking paging people and uh someone brought a t-shirt to ray and so he got one of our you know one of my buddy's straight edge shirts and so it was cool to like hang out and chat with these dudes. Cause like now it's like now I'm like meeting dudes from New York and uh, not quite knowing how fucking epic that band really was, you know? And so you start digging and, and, and experiencing more and learning and, and very cool. To have met that band,
0: yeah, and it's, it's opening um, you up of how man. how like big this thing really is. Like, oh shit, it exactly. goes beyond like Southern California. It's like it's a nationwide thing. It's a worldwide thing. But dude, yeah, it, can you imagine if you would have it, gotten a, a photo with Warzone at Hot Dog on a Stick?
1: Dude, you know what's fucked up is I worked at a camera store developing film, <laughs> I and know. I didn't just steal a camera off the fucking shelf and go take a picture. Uh, what kind of fucking idiot? Yeah. But you know, it's like it's those same terms. Like we didn't do selfies back then. Like you, right. a, a picture got taken, in, you know, in the proper moment. But um, yeah, you're right. Like so, we, photos, like we didn't take a lot of
0: photos because, like, when you'd go get like a roll developed, it would be like f- four months worth of like memories. <laughs> you know, like go oh, to
1: and there's only like twenty something pictures on that roll. Exactly. You know, so fucking weird you know just signs of the times and um and uh so now I'm not really sure once again like I've been hitting the head a lot of times so my memory's a little jumbled but so now eyelids like a full not a full time but they're doing like these awesome tours and um at some point uh our buddy Gabe and that dude, Mike Hartley, Nick Strouser, Ray and Chris, they start Countervail. And, um, once again, hometown buddies got to go crazy for them. And, um, they're starting to play orange County a lot more. So now, now we're finding ourselves, not just going to these big shows at like showcasing the barn. Um, now we're going to like house shows in Orange County and, and going to all these like smaller things and like meeting a whole another group of, of, of people. And, um, it was weird. Cause like, I never noticed there was like a, a divide between like Orange County and LA or, or Canal Valley or, san diego or anything like that um maybe because i was just younger and blind to it like you always hear stories that there was like beef or or maybe not beef but like drama or whatever and, and i didn't really ever see it but um Countervale starts like going on some tours and um they're shedding light on, on all kinds of new bands from the East Coast because at this point now, Tenure Fight and Floor Punch had already started playing shows, and um, Hardcore might have started being a little bit more segregated on the East Coast. I only say that because like, when you look at Flyers, Flyers there didn't seem as like, diverse. As say, like the shows that we were going to. Um, but I mean, that could have just been those isolated flyers that we saw. And through Countervale, that's how we met Zarian. Zarian was either still living in Boston or he had gone back to Boston just to visit and he became friends with the Strouser brothers. So through through Nick and Chris, we meet Zarian and JP, Matt, and uh and those dudes. Um and those dudes were all like super into Unbroken. I remember like the Rainchild guys and like in that group, the dudes that ended up being in, in countervale and stuff, their band was unbroken. So we were, you know, I didn't see a difference like straight edge, non-straight edge, like good bands were good bands and that's all that really mattered. And, um, so I saw, I didn't make it to the last unbroken show at Shea, but I think the, I don't know the time frame. shortly, maybe it was the same weekend. Maybe it was like a month before, but they played the last mean season show at showcase I did go to that. And um, I think that was the only time I saw Unbroken. And they were mind-blowing. Like, it was different. You know, like, dudes are on stage, and they they got slick hair, and, and they're wearing fucking shirts and ties and stuff. But it didn't... It, it, I don't know if it did... It didn't matter, like, what they were wearing. You know what I mean? Because the second they started playing, it was total fucking chaos and uh, unbroken was fucking awesome they were they were awesome. I only saw them once I, I regret not seeing them more as well um, but um now with countervale going to the east Coast discovering 10yard fight and and floor punch and that shit through them now i'm like now i'm kind of finding what i'm 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 actually into like i might like all these other bands and stuff like i'm not saying i stopped liking them obviously you know i I mean i still listen to converge and and shit like that but like all of a sudden like 10 year fight demo i'm like yeah Saying about football, I don't relate to football, but the music, you know the whole like youth crew revival youth of today is possibly my all time favorite hardcore band, and so now I'm hearing like new bands kind of sounding like youth of today, you know, and i definitely I definitely felt more of a connection to like fast hardcore that's probably why I like if Strife wasn't as big as they were, it wouldn't have mattered because they still played fast. Like, What Will Remain is still my favorite, favorite song from Strife. And I know you're friends with Mandel. And, uh, I watched Mandel sing What Will Remain one time and he was a fucking savage on the mic. I always wished he would have had time to sing in a band or something or or whatever, but it was fucking awesome. And, um, so, um so you start connecting
0: with this like east coast stuff and it is it does it sound more palatable to you that you're like oh actually instead of like being a participant i can actually maybe do a band
1: well no so like so now as far as doing a band i don't even know an instrument like i don't even own an instrument um i was a photographer so i was actually but, I was actually taking pictures of all these bands. When I wasn't stage diving to sing along, like I was photographing bands and um and that was my thing, like me and Greg, we took pictures. If I it if I wasn't taking pictures he was or vice versa and we would, you know, trade photos and and um so photography was actually like my my first way of participating or giving back to hardcore not just by like giving them five bucks at the door you know what i mean like taking pictures of bands and and giving them the photos and i remember i still lived in my mom's house and mike ski from brother's keeper called my mom's house and uh they need verbal permission to use one of my photos on record which is i have no idea what photo it was or what the record looks like. <laughs> 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 but but I know it's there, you know. Um Second in My Eyes LP has one of my photos on the cover of Anthony. Um and then the Super Soul comp that I believe Ray capital put out, uh they used another in my eyes photo of mine in that record. So I've had some cool photos printed. Terrors used a few of my photos, but um I guess going back to learning how to play an instrument, um, don't really know exactly what age I was. So let's see. I bet you dudes in '97. So probably the same year. So probably '97. I'm 19, and uh, I took my buddy Katie to Guitar Center for some reason, um, and, and we're at Guitar Center. It's like. Dude you should learn how to play guitar I don't know how to fucking play guitar I don't know anything about it So he convinces me to buy this like $99 Epiphone Or whatever the fuck it is Thinking This dude's gonna fucking show me something He was an awesome guitar player He never showed me a fucking single thing He never even showed me how to make a fucking power (laughs) chord So uh, So I have this fucking guitar And I'm not really figuring it out. And then um, a couple of dudes from school, this dude, Chris Pulley, uh, he played bass. I don't remember what else, but a bunch of guys came over to the house to jam and someone kind of showed me and it didn't do anything more than like a half hour of us just like hanging out in my room. And uh, someone was like, maybe you should just try to play bass use one finger and slide it around a bunch so I think I traded that guitar to someone for their bass just to like play on and I figured out just look around by sick of it all so I was like oh maybe I can do this on my own and then uh, and then my buddy Adrian shows up And he's got a guitar. I won't go into how he gets the guitar, but he gives uh, me—I don't remember what I traded him for, or or, or if I paid him money. I I don't remember, but I get a brand new cherry red gold hardware studio Les Paul from him for like next to nothing. It it could have been for nothing. I don't—I don't really remember. But Adrian was that kind of dude. He was just an incredible friend, and uh, so I have this insane. Gibson Studio, Les Paul. So now I'm, I'm trying to figure things out on guitar, and um, I'm sure someone showed me, you know, a few things at this point. And I figure out how to play, I think, like Inner Struggle from Strife and obviously everyone can figure out how to play Firestorm from Earth Crisis. And <laughs> so, so I can play like a handful of, of hardcore songs and um, now I was on tour with Tenure fight and battery. And I don't think I had heard the battery album yet, but, uh, someone had given me a copy of the battery seven inch from when Brian was like 13 and he sang on it. and I, I loved it. I thought that was awesome too. So we're excited to see tenure fight, obviously. And, um, you know, our friends and I live and stuff, so I don't remember if the showcase or the pickle patch was first, but I I remember taking photos of the showcase. I don't know if uh the pickle patch or the showcase was first, but I knew I took photos of both because I, I definitely had photos of tenure fight from the showcase. And uh and I must have been taking pictures of the pickle patch because Todd Jones ends up getting my contact info from somebody, um, maybe Zarian because he saw, you know, uh, we were friends with Zarian, or, or I don't know, but um, so I get a call. This dude's got a fanzine and he needs photos. And what do I do with my photos? And so he's gonna come to my house, come look at photos. And this 16 year old kid shows up at my house, and uh, I mean I'm only like. 19 and so it's not like a kid there's only three a difference but you know like I feel like Todd was always business in, in in some sort of way you know what I mean like so I think I gave him like a ton of pictures or or he was gonna use a ton of pictures and I don't know if that's that next issue of his zine ever came out I don't really remember but he saw that i had a guitar and it was like oh you play guitar and I was like sort of not really like I can play the songs like oh that's good enough he says, yo, let's jam. It's like, alright, let's jam. So I went to his house and uh, he already had like one of the songs that would later become a stand your ground song. He's yo, tell me, you know, try this out. And I feel like the riff was like more difficult than like the string right song i knew how to play <laughs> yeah but uh, uh you know i kind of followed it and and he's like yeah it's good enough man we should do a fucking band together and like i was like all right if you think that's good enough let's do it and so um that was kind of like how stand your ground started and i think uh oh i want to say maybe we jammed again and aaron was there um, and then now it was like, okay, we're gonna do this band, and we went to Tony's house, and then that's when I met Tony and Max. Um, I might have met Mad Ball that same time, because like dudes were always chilling at Tony's house, and um, you know, we wrote the demo and. And stuff, and uh, you know, it's funny. I always hear you guys talking about recording with John Lyons, and um, dude, I, I didn't know how to play guitar as it was, let alone know anything about who to talk to about recording or how recording works. I didn't even know how to even know how to fucking play guitar. So, uh, we go to record at the living room with John Lyons, and. Um, I think because I was so bad at guitar playing live was like the only way I would have gotten through it. Like if we, if we tracked each instrument and I had to like try to play along to the recording, I never would have fucking made through it. So recording live definitely worked out and hopefully they just turned me down in the mix. Cause I didn't want to play guitar. But, um, so now here comes like the, here comes the next key. For like being a hardcore kid in the 90s So I now work at Kinko's, Kinko's Copies Yes And uh, If you didn't have a hardcore kid Working at your Kinko's in your town You were fucking up Because We did record covers, stickers Jeans, flyers We fucking made everything And we made sure it was next to free If not free for you know, any hardcore kid. And, um, so the one that I worked at, it's kind of crazy. Like, I believe Mandel worked there at one point. Sid from Strife worked there. Uh, I think maybe Rick from Strife had worked there at one point. Uh, my good friend Eric worked there. Uh, this dude Mike Moss worked there. Yo, know, tons of hardcore kids worked there. Greg worked there. And it was just like, anyone who wanted anything, And, um, you know, I think you, you came and you did some camel clutch covers and shit. And, uh, I remember that like if, when I was working like the night shift, if you came at night and you hung out with me or you brought me food, you had free reign to do whatever the fuck you wanted. And, um, I don't know how many people's jeans we did how many thousands of flyers and, and shit like that. And so, um, where the fuck am I going with this story? I guess it's just nostalgia of the area, like Caneo Valley hard for like, yeah, so rad, Revolved I mean, around, around. Yeah.
0: You had to before, cause they, they rotated through some different payment types. So you didn't need the hookup once they went to that, like <clears throat> that key. They have like the counter on it. Because once he, once yeah, they yeah. got to there, then anyone could go print for free because you just print a million copies and then you just whack the key on the ground and it like, you would it jumble did. it and then you'd be like, oh, I made 20 flyers, you know, and you got, yep. you got 2000 fucking prints in your backpack. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah so you guys record, this, so you guys do stand your ground. Um, you recorded a demo of the living room. Did you record the demo before you ever played a show?
1: Um no I think I think we do play a show before the demo because I think I think there was a live photo that Greg took This on the demo in so- the demo in the in the demo that was a show so like collision was playing the cobalt cafe and I don't remember really who else played the show maybe uh maybe like the early era of ALC or or, or some of those dudes. um. And they're they playing a show at the Cobalt. And Vic calls me and he's like, hey, we need a band to play the show. Are you guys ready to play a show? I'm like, fuck, I don't know. I think we only had like four songs or something at the time. And so I call Todd. Todd's like, fuck it, let's do it. So we play the show. We just show up. We played a couple songs we had And that was it And it was fucking awesome You know like Now I'm Now I'm realizing that like Being an awesome guitar player Is not my calling But like Being wild on stage <laughs> Is awesome yeah. You know like This yeah. this is fucking awesome And like This is still the era that Like Moshing really isn't moshing yet You know what I'm saying Like or clap dancing and and stage diving and sing along like and that's like the wild side of hardcore at this time so we make uh, we make as like legit demos as we possibly can I make all these like crazy full color demo covers like it's like comes from some printer from for Revelation Records or some shit and um, we start playing shows and um, you know, we play some cool shows. Like I think we played with shut down and, and, uh, the, uh, what was it? JP's barn, What they called the Doghouse? house. Yeah. That show was fucking awesome. Uh, voice played the same shows as, as stand your ground. Right. Yep. yep. Or Yeah. And then, was that also the built the last show? I, I can't keep track cuz Built to Last was one show and then 25 to Life was another show. Yeah, there was only, so I, there was only
0: three shows ever. So, it was okay. it was that 25 to Life Powerhouse and Voice played. That was one show and then I think there was it was Built to Last Collision and maybe Stand Your and then I think yeah. and then I think we did like Missing 23rd Stand Underground and and like Life's Halt on a different show.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's right. Life salt did play there. Okay.
0: Yeah, so I think you so, did two out of the three.
1: Yeah, I didn't play the um, the twenty five live show because I couldn't make it to that one. Right. And um, so we're playing shows and um and uh, like I think this is like a, a weird thing because like now that I'm older hardcore is kind of like starting to feel different. Like it's starting to feel segregated. You know what I mean? Like, um, a lot of those, like more metal bands, Orange County and, and things like that, like adamantium and shit are happening. And, and I don't really know, like, but I always felt like, uh, like stay your ground either was or, or, or felt like like the whole like Nardcore thing. Like I think at the, at the time I didn't get it. You know what I mean? I didn't, I didn't get that. It was more just like, like an attitude, you know, because of like, where are you from versus like, you had to be from Oxnard. And I don't know. I, I always felt like in that band that like, I didn't fit like a, a I wasn't intended to be in that band because I wasn't from Oxford, but this is like in my head. Like no one ever really made me feel that way. Yeah. Like we're talking about fucking Tony, Max, Aaron and Todd, you know? And then like, i am seeing you on the regular. I'm seeing for dead on the regular, I'm seeing fucking hammer on the regular mad ball. I'm, you know, Adam, excuse me. And fucking all you dudes are fucking treating me like I'm just, the dude that's there hanging out all the time like i'm just one of you guys and for some reason i'm just like i don't feel like i fit in this band maybe it's because i suck the guitar and i was like looking for an excuse i don't really know and um so it's like the day before we're supposed to record the seven inch for jitsu and i just like quit over the phone like a fucking pussy like i didn't do it like i didn't do it face to face with anybody and like i didn't have like at the time it was like a, a legit feeling like i felt out of place but when i think back i'm just like you're a moron you know like no no one ever made me feel like out of place i think it was like like i wasn't putting two and two together right you know what i'm saying like i wasn't i wasn't tuned in To the vibe you do as we're living because I wasn't there. You know what I mean? And uh
0: Well, it goes back to being younger. You're it's younger and everyone wants to fly a flag, right? And and so yeah, exactly. Like like if you don't feel fully included in something, for whatever reason it is, it might push you away. But Corey, I wanted to I wanted to do one other standing ground story before that. Or I mean we did that. Let's circle back though. So there was a time that we were gonna play I wasn't in the band yet, but I think max couldn't do a show. So I was going to fill in on bass, and we were going to play the club bullocks. Do you remember this? And you got lost. Oh, dude, you, you were going to, this is, this is so of the time, right? Because like, so yeah. we go and you're, you're driving separate. Cause we went in Aaron's van and you're going to come and meet us there. Yep. But literally like you got lost and it's like pre cell phone, right? So you just can't find the club. So you don't show up and play. <laughs>
1: what, or what, what was what was your side so, of it <laughs> oh my God. so fucking this is insane so like yeah there's no cell phones there's no map quest there's no GPS you literally you have a Thomas guide or like you're just reflections on like you know you've been to that club before so you have an idea how to get there now Bullock's, I don't remember exactly what streets it was on and that show was sick too because it was I believe it was a vi- visual discrimination.
0: Yeah, it was VD right? on that comeback seven inch. I don't want to say. Oh, I can't remember some other like kind of like power violency band.
1: Like, yeah, I just oh, remember lack, VD was on it. It was, was lack of interest. Lack of interest. Yeah, sick.
0: Yeah.
1: So we're it, it's in like East LA or not East LA? It's in like South Central somewhere, like somewhere south of the ten, where it's just not really safe. It was the most. And, it was uh, the most hood club. Like, for sure. Yeah. So, I got fucked up instructions. (laughs) And the phone number of the flyers not getting to anybody or whatever. So, we literally drove around I think for like two and a half hours. Because we're like, fuck it, we're not going to go home. Let's just keep driving around. We missed our set. Fuck it, we'll be, you know, we'll get there. And, uh, finally, we got pulled over by the cops, I believe, and they were like, home? and he simply could have just been like, oh, you just make a right and a left, go down a couple streets, and it's right there. No, he just told us to get on the fucking freeway and get the fuck out of town. Yeah. So at that, at that point, that's what we did. Yeah. Um,
0: that's boy. so wild, though, because it's just so over time, like not <laughs> being able to find the place, right? <laughs> it's like that that just Dude. could never happen again now. You know? So fucking cool.
1: Oh, yeah. Now you get lost, you're just you're just an idiot that can't follow a fucking arrow on a phone.
0: Yeah. Well I mean like you can be in like one of those spots now where like there's no service and like I start to almost like feel fucking abandoned. You know, it's like how much of a fucking Yeah how much of a puss have I turned into that like I I need like fucking four bars, you know? Or I don't feel right. Oh man. But uh so I would now, say I would say that you getting like you leaving the band was a positive for like building like our scene in a way because you you almost immediately go on to carry on and I think that that made us sort of yeah well it, and then we got closer with those guys too and eventually like Todd would go and so forth so let's talk about that transition so you leave Standard Ground how do you meet the well, uh, hey
1: go ahead let's get back. Let's get back to clubs like the Bullets because we talked about places like Showcase and the Living Room loosely. Um, let's talk about the fucked up clubs. So, um, from Nick Strouser and then uh, my friend uh, Todd Tyler, who was from Broken Needle, um, they really exposed me to more like bands like Power Violence and like Crust and shit like that. So, if you want to see a power violence band, you better be prepared to go into the worst fucking neighborhood possible. So, one of the worst worst parts of the valley at the time was um, Blythe Street uh, in Panorama City, and there was this place, Blythe Street Warehouse, and um, you know we were just dumb white kids, just fucking rolling into this fucking sketchy neighborhood to just go see power violence bands. Um, saw lack of interest there, saw fucking crom, um gasp, uh Unruh, Wellington, Saw all these like really cool like crust power violence bands. But that's also how we met Ryan Ober and Little Anthony. They had a band and they played with Countervail at the Bl- Street Warehouse. And then uh um there was this place in L.A., like, South L.A. It was off Washington. It was called Sketta, I believe. And, um, it was one of those places where, like, you went into the club and no one left until the end of the show. And, uh, we saw Spaz there, Phobia, um, Rito, um, I don't know. We saw all kinds of bands there. Then we started going Uh, PCH Club you know back before when it was only one room not the opened up two rooms you know we saw Ass Suck I believe Los Crudos uh, but we were going to like fucked up neighborhoods to see bands and it was like sometimes you're driving three hours sometimes you're just driving to the scariest place on earth and whatever you had to do to see bands um, and that's just, once again, hardcore safe. Now you don't have to do that no more, you know, but back then you did whatever you had to, to, uh, to be a part of it. And, um, so, uh, while all this is going on, um, I, I leave standing ground and I, I don't say it was right away, but maybe like six months go by and um, Ryan from Carry On hits me up and says hey you know we need, a, we need a guitar player would you be interested and so at this point the band was Persevere and they changed their band name to Carry On and uh, they had recorded the stab in the face 7 inch but Very shortly after the 7-inch came out, pretty much the whole band either quit or got kicked out. I don't remember all the details, but I think it was still... I think Jason, the drummer, was played on that 7-inch, and then Josh and Jordan were in the band. So then I would become the second guitar player. And they were still from Atascadero and San Luis Obispo. So what the fuck is a dude from... Newberry Park gonna do joining a band from up there. And so I uh I drove up to practice and I think I went up a couple times before they told me that I would join the band. But at this point now well actually no, not quite yet. So the infamous carry on live tape from the living room. Um, they played, they played post stabbed in the face lineup. And just before I joined the band, they played that show where that rec, that cassette tape got recorded. So you didn't and play that. I, you didn't play that show. No, you were just, I there. didn't play that show. You were just there. I was just there hanging out. Yeah. Yeah, because they, um, they basically
0: like write a whole batch of songs that like are between "Stabbed in the Face" and "The Line is Drawn," and they get
1: recorded. With the show. A, yep. Yep. So, yep. And only a couple of them made it to the "Line is Drawn" seven inch, which is crazy because all those songs were fucking sick. Like they were so good. Um.
0: Yeah, like that song. The first step. So, that song, the first step, was like one of the best character oh, songs. Dude.
1: Yeah, and it's only on that cassette. So they asked me to join the band and uh I start driving up there every single Thursday, Jesus, every Thursday for who the fuck knows how long until, you know, Ryan eventually moved down to LA and stuff.
0: Yeah. And we should say um, for the people, Corey, like uh new Park, to Tuscadero is probably what? Three hours.
1: Probably more. Yes, I would three say three and a half. a half. I would say like, Three and a half to San Luis Obispo, and then like another like half hour or whatever to Tascadero. Jesus! But it was even farther because we would practice at Jason's house in Paso Robles,
2: <laughs> which
1: is which Ryan lived in in like kind of near downtown San Luis Obispo. Josh lived in a Tascadero, and then Jordan and Jason both both lived in Paso Robles. So, dude, fucking crazy, just stupid things that only young people do. With dedication. And you. um yo, but it it works out. It works out. So I think like so I, we start playing shows, um you know, fucking like the floor punch show, you know, like Life's all carry on, stand your ground, floor punch at Laser Star, you know, like things are starting to happen. For the scene that we are now creating, so I feel like as like the hardcore scene that was so alive, built around like strife and shit, like come like '97, like '97 in this defines record release was at at the barn with despair, hate breed, and insurgents, and. I feel like everything after that starts becoming heavily segregated, you know, and our style of music, you know, traditional style of hardcore really didn't have a place anymore. So, you know, none of us are playing shows to anyone more than like 30 to 50 people. And we're talking like, Dude, Life's Hall. How fucking awesome is Life's Hall? Right. The Life's Hall. No reply. Collision. Stand your ground. Carry on. Um, you know, uh, built to last. There's so many, so many amazing bands at the time, but it was all s- sort of like new. I remember like being labeled, you know, like, oh, you're one of those fucking posy bands, and it's like. You know, just because I, you know, we have a different outlook doesn't mean we're posy dudes. Like, obviously, I'm not the most posy dude. And, and even then, when I was, you know, a little more uh, reserved with my attitude, I, you know, I think that we did what we had to do. You know what I mean? Like, I, I feel like all of our bands, like, found our, ourselves in, in, like, Weird situations that didn't really happen before, and and I guess it was like maybe because we were doing something a little different than than what people expected or or what was typical of the time. It was kind of like shit talking or bullying or or however you want to look at it, and none of us took it. You know what I mean? Like I'm not gonna say we all got in fights all the time, but fights happened and. Whether we were fighting, you know, security guards or or whoever, and, and it's not like these fights happened all the time. I mean, there was just you know a few that I remember, but um, no one was going to take any shit from anyone.
0: Yeah, but I would say what I, I would say what it is is this: it's like thinking back on it, like the impetus of like the floor punches and the ten fights and these bands, they are a backlash to like a lot of what was going on at the time. Right. It's kind of a backlash to like the victory style and like that heavy style. Yeah. And our scene at that time was very heavy, heavily influenced by those East coast, like traditional hardcore revival bands. So like inevitably, because we're like influenced by all that stuff, some people can maybe, maybe take it and like oversimplify it. Like, Oh, these are like the, the West coast posy bands. Right. And inevitably think that we're yeah. a backlash to something, even though it's just like, we're just playing the music we like, you know, and exactly. and yeah. we're like in this little adjacent scene. So like, I can see how people could think about it that way, even though they were totally wrong. Because if you look at that group of us, like almost to a man, we are like some of the most open-minded people musically there, there were. You know, like, I mean, you talk about your history here of bands you like or going to to what Todd likes or what I like or what Ryan liked or any, anything. It's like, we're actually like the super open-minded people. Like we're not living in a box, you know, but, uh, that's just my take on it.
1: But But yeah, and that, and that's exactly it. And so we were finding ourselves having to like discover new venues or, or, or book our own shows. And I say our, you know a lot of it was like you and Todd I don't think I ever booked a show in my life but um you know so no but there was now, a, there was a
0: circuit because like you're the our bands are playing you know the living room Galita sometimes uh cobalt right but cobalt was always really weird yeah. with a band booking like they'd ask you who you were well, seeing on your way in and like the band would get a dollar it was just kind of a weird spot her
1: head that yeah it was like I remember the first time carry on played there and like me being a local, but everyone else drove from fucking, you know, three, eight plus hours away. And they tried to give me 12 bucks. And I was just like, yo, you fucking asked us to play here. Not the other way around. And I think I ended up getting like 50 bucks out of the kid, but yeah. But like yeah. what a fucking weird dynamic. Yeah. That you know was a I mean? weird like, spot.
0: That was a weird spot. But then we had headline, you had the PCH and then you had shake Cafe. You know, so there was a yeah. circuit that we were all playing on, you know.
1: Dude, especially, like, like Alex from PCH. Like, there's not a chance in hell he would ever have done something like that to somebody. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, dude, I can't even I can't believe I forgot Headline. Like, Jean-Luc at Headline. Like, I remember Standing Ground played the first location. And then, I think the second location was too small to have shows at. And then, the location he's at now, you know... We played all kinds of shows there. But, um,
0: yeah, I mean, Alex Alex and John Luke are MVPs.
1: Dude. You know what I mean? Like in a time where you're just dying to play somewhere. Um, yeah, you know, amazing. And like Orange County was kind of like a weird, like black hole because like I would go there to see other bands and the shows were awesome, but there was like no in to like, get shows there because i didn't really know anybody you know what i mean like like i knew mandel and mandel lived there but i wasn't gonna ask him to play with adam Anfield. you know what i mean yeah i
0: mean like they could have probably booked us at coos but we would have been playing to like the same 20 people that would show up to headline they're just driving an extra half hour (laughs) you know yeah exactly but yeah the bar was pretty high for like playing like showcase and so forth
1: yeah, but, like, somehow we got shows at, at Showcase, you know, like, um, Carry On played with Bane there. Like, we had a couple, like, really awesome shows that we got on. You know, the... I admit, I'm probably getting out of order here, but, like, dude, the Carry On Count Me Out show there was fucking awesome. You know? Uh, So, cool things happened. So, back to kind of, like, the beginning of Carry On, with, for me, um so like the shit's really like happening and like my guitar playing is getting better you know like not amazing but you know at, at least tolerable and um i believe we start playing shows before we do the line is drawn um and uh yeah we must have because I remember we played a lot of shows with Jordan, um, and uh, like we played, what was it? Uh, I think Death by Stereo and in my eyes at PCH Club. I don't yeah. remember who else played, but I kind of remember like those were the big bands of that show. You Mandel played, took some really awesome photos of us at that show.
0: Yeah, you played that outdoor, like that college in Claremont. Yeah,
1: you know, we played the the Yak in Claremont. It was like a skate park and it was awesome i mean at the time every hardcore band from california played that fucking thing right and um and i remember life salt did uh they did like the rocky theme song and they had they actually had like horn players yeah play the shit so. um but uh that show at the yak was actually my first show with the band and um so, things things were happening, and then we record. The line is drawn, and uh, shortly after, Jordan has to quit because he wasn't feeling well. And um, which Jordan was an insane guitar player. Uh, you want to talk about like a happy, positive, like incredible personality to be around. It was, it was him. I mean, he'd make anyone smile. And um, he got sick, couldn't be in the band anymore. And then that's when we got Todd. And I believe it's the second pressing of the line is drawn. We added Todd's name to the record because uh, Jordan ended up passing away. And we did like a, like a memorial thing in the record for him. Um, but um, yeah. So that's when, you know, around that era is when Todd joins the band. Yeah. You want to talk about which, that a little
0: bit, Corey? Like, cause it hasn't been talked on the pod before um, about Jordan and Jeremy, um, like how important they were yeah. like in our, like how we talk about like kind of having this, adjacent scene to the bigger California stuff that was going on at the time. Um, you know, Jordan, obviously a part of carry on. And then his brother, Jeremy, like he was always like filming and so forth. And they were just like two dudes that were always around and like, just really important. And, uh, yeah, you'd be a good person to speak on both of them. Cause uh, I think they, they deserve a moment.
1: Yeah, totally. So, um, so Jordan, Jeremy, Johnson, their brothers, and their sister Kate. Um, you know, all in one show. Kate was always around. I mean, she might not have been like the hardcore chick that like some girls were, but she was around. She came to shows. She always hung out. Sweet girl. Um, so Jordan um, had a heart condition. Uh, I don't know if he was born with it or developed it at, at a very young age, but it was something like. You know, you're not going to, you're not going to make it to 10 or, or, or something like that. And, um, he made it till he was like, I think 18 or 19 when he passed away. And kind of a cool story too, is that I think like, I think he had like a make a wish. And, um, I don't remember if he got his guitar or he got his guitar amp. Through make a wish like it wasn't like I want to meet Michael Jordan it wasn't I want to go to fucking Disneyland Like yo I want to fucking I want that shred stick I want that fucking guitar so You know The kid was just An incredible Person I mean He wrote the craziest Riffs that all Worked so awesome like like the line Is drawn that song The fucking the riff is So crazy and uh everything he wrote was just like that it was like oh well the dude in, in turning point does it like this and then the guy from this like he was like he was maybe not on todd jones level as far as like um like the the aspect of like knowing the ins and outs of everything because i feel like todd todd's a fucking machine that dude is a straight machine where Jordan was just like a, had a little bit more, um, I guess like, I guess his personality showed in his guitar playing, you know, like maybe he's like just a little bit more loose and was a little bit more open to, you know, different guitar techniques, like how he played or whatever. It, It wasn't as like, um, perfect, you know, like, Todd plays and he writes a song. It's like, it's so precise and perfect. And Jordan wrote incredible riffs with like a different kind of like feeling to it. And, um, and so one day, uh, I don't know if it was Josh or Ryan. They call me and they're like, Oh yeah, you know, Jordan quit. Um, and they didn't really like go in depth on like why. And, um, and so me and my girlfriend at the time, we we would drive up some, I'm not going to say somewhat regularly, but we drove up several times just to spend time with Jordan after he told me that, you know, he wasn't feeling so well. And uh, at no point did he ever go in depth on the severity of everything. Um, like, it was just like, oh, you know, like I have this condition and, and I'm not feeling so hot, so. You know, was driving around, probably not the best for me. I'm just going to go back to school or, or whatever it was. And, um, and then, uh, if my memory serves you right, he went down to UCLA Medical Center, I, I believe, to have a procedure done, or maybe it wasn't that procedure. Maybe it was that his his condition was just getting worse and he needed to be in the hospital. And I believe that's where he passed or maybe he had left that hospital to go home and then pass. I don't remember all those details, but unfortunately, um, he passes away and, um, it was, it was insane, you know, like, a uh, a person that age, you know, but, um, has just, crazy so you you have to celebrate their life you know um someone who's who's that amazing the only thing you can do is celebrate them you know and uh this is a little out of timeline but just to to stick with the story um so his brother jeremy now jeremy was a very involved person in hardcore as well he didn't play in bands but he booked all the shows in paso robles um Countless shows uh he did I believe like the f- very first carry on shirts before I was in the band like I think he silkscreened them himself at his house he made patches and stickers um he did a lot of stuff for carry on um, he was uh filming shows so he had like a really crazy archive of shows that he'd filmed and um he was he was very involved and uh Once again, born and bred from, you know, cut from the same cloth. He was just an awesome, extremely nice guy. And um, he ends up getting sick one day. He was, I believe, he had joined the fire academy. Like, he was going to become, like, a fireman in, like, somewhere in San Luis Obispo County or something. Or maybe in San Luis Obispo. And he had gotten sick and and didn't pay no mind to it because, you know, like he's got to be tough. Like he's got to, he's got to get through this, you know, this academy like school thing to be a fireman. And it ends up being that he has um, leukemia. I'm not sure like what type of leukemia, but it's leukemia. And, um, I don't remember if the first time I saw him, once I found out, was at the hospital or if I had gone up to San Luis Obispo and he was telling me in person. But he was in the hospital on and off for a long time. So it could have been I was with him in San Luis Obispo between the breaks of going in and out of the hospital for for chemo and stuff. And, And what happened was, the only way he was going to survive this was if he got, I believe, a bone marrow transplant. And uh, for anyone who knows me, like I'm the sick kid. Like I'm the guy that's always fucked up. I'm always sick with something, broken something, crippled from something, fucking whatever. I'm always a fucking mess. And so, Jeremy was at A hospital in, in Pasadena in LA. And I think it's called City of Hope, maybe. Um it's like a it's a cancer specialist hospital. And so I lived in the valley, which was just like, you know, I don't know, half I was a half hour twenty minutes away from them. So I was this is also out of order too, but this is during the time my back was fucked up and uh I wasn't working. So I had all the time in the world to go spend time with them and hang out with them in the hospital. And so I'd go and hang out and, you know, I'm not going to say every day, but you know, pretty often, probably more often than anyone else other than his, his, uh, girlfriend or a family member. And, um, I don't remember how far into this we are, but, at some point his mom's like, I got to talk to you. And, and uh, I'm like, right, yeah, sure. You know, like whatever. And, and she, they asked me to not come visit anymore because his immune system was so weak that like, if you know, like whatever, you know, I was, it was probably, I was probably sick with, you know, seasonal allergies, but they can't risk me getting, giving him a cold or, or the flu or something. So they asked me not to come visit. And it was out of complete respect. Like at no point was I like, I can't fucking believe these people. Like, Obviously not. You know, like it was for the health and well being of, of Jeremy. And so I still talk to him every day. And, um, and so I get a call on the house line. And it's Jeremy, and he's like, hey, uh, Piece by Piece has got shows this weekend, right? And I was like, yeah, actually, you know, I think we're, we're, it was like a weekend trip. I don't know who it was with or anything, but I remember we were playing Shea Cafe that night, and he's like, or the next day, he's like, dude, I'm home, and I can't be home. I was like, okay, what's up? And he's like, I'm on a train. Coming to you right now. Which train stop do I get off of? Now, for anyone who knows California, like the train is not like catching (laughs) the subway in New York. Like you don't just get on the MetroLink to go hang out with your friends. It just doesn't happen. So I tell them which one to go to, and I pick them up. I'm like, dude, what the fuck are you doing? And um, he's like, dude, I just I need I need some normal life. I need I need a, a piece of of, of who i am and and there was a picture of uh from that weekend um piece by this like real early piece by piece and um I, when we had some t-shirts made there was like one or like two of these blue piece by piece hoodies and i had one and i gave it to, to jeremy that weekend and there's like a photo of him like sitting on a curb wearing that hoodie and and so he came to shake cafe with us and. Maybe the other one was in like Palmdale or or maybe Jerry's Pizza or something. Um, And he was with with us for the weekend. He got on the train, went back home. And uh, he went back into the hospital again because, you know, there was no no matches for a bone marrow transplant. And um, he wasn't doing well. And no one in the family ever really said anything, if I remember right. Like, they didn't blame me. But I, at at some point, I felt like there was a little bit of um, tension. Like, I dragged him out, and he got sick from that weekend. Because the next time he goes into the hospital, he never recovers. And, um, uh, so one morning I, I go to hang out with him and I don't remember what was really going on, but I leave the hospital and I can't remember if it was his girlfriend or if it was his mom but someone calls me i had a cell phone at the time and calls me and says you need to get to the hospital right away and so and i was literally wasn't even home from leaving the hospital and i just get up turn around on the freeway and and go back and the family's there and he'd been in a coma for i don't know how many weeks or whatever at this point and, uh <laughs> They asked me, you know, like, what, you know, what would I want? If, you know, that's like a member of the family, you know, leaving my life support or, or, or not. And, and I told them that I couldn't be a part of the decision. You know, like I'm not, I'm not his mother or his father or his sister, but Jesus, um, uh, I, I back any decision they make. But if it's anything, you know, I don't want him to suffer. So the family decides that that they would pull the plug. But they were going to give twenty four hours for anyone and everyone to come say goodbye. And so now it's my job to contact everyone, everyone on Earth, and under under those circumstances, I'm sure there's people I forgot, but, you know, I, I kind of put it on people that like, you know, whoever I called, I expected them to call 10 people and them to call 10 people and then to call 10 people, people. kind of, you know, uh, situation just so that way, you know, everyone knew. And, um, there, there's some stuff that I, I can't talk about cause uh, fucking crying on night, but uh the next day they had to um let him go and
0: uh yeah it's fucked up yeah it's fucked up it's like so so tragic that like that can happen to a single family you know like it's heartbreaking thinking about it still to this day um and that's why Corey, i appreciate you doing that I know it's real hard. I just, I really wanted to, to get their story on the pod because they were two really important people. And it's scary how fast time flies, you know, that it's like almost 20 years ago now, um, from losing both of them. But, uh, they were, were they're, I mean, it's crazy. Yeah, exactly. They were really important. Exactly. So, and, and he did a dedication song like early in internal affairs right on the first seven inch
1: yeah yeah this song for it was it was for jeremy because it was uh it was shortly after that that happened that you know like i don't know how short after but um it's just one of those things like now when I listen to it, I'm like, oh, it's awkward. Like, i gonna sing along to this song. But you know, when you're you're in the moment and like you want to memorialize something, you know, make something last forever, you know, you just do it.
0: Well, it's hardcore it mean it's hardcore. To, yeah, it's hardcore and as art is purest. I mean, that's you laying yourself out on your sleeve, right? And you know, I don't. Yeah, I don't know how people perceive you. Like the you know. Of your piece by piece and internal affairs persona, I don't think like people are accusing you of being a overly sensitive person, you know. So I think it's yeah. <laughs> I, th- I, I think I think it's like it's really it's nice and it's genuine that you're able to like put yourself out there like that, especially when it's so fresh and so raw, you know. I think that, that yeah. was like that's why that song transcends and and I think it's it's one of the early things of what made that band like so sincere and good. Um, but yeah, we are jumping ahead. It was just, it was, it's, it ties into that. So we had to touch it now. Um,
1: no, no, no problem. So, so, so
0: tra- tra- Todd joins the band. Yep. Yeah. So Todd joins. And is this just a no brainer? Like standard ground is done at this time. Yeah. And it's like, Oh, here's the greatest 18 year old guitarist on earth who writes the best hardcore songs, like I, uh, we should probably just get him in our band.
1: Yeah. Like I, like, I, but that was the exact word. But I think we were like at band practice. Like what do we do? And like, I'm pretty sure Ryan was like, isn't it a fucking no brainer? Like Todd's got to be in the band. I'm, like, Yeah, obviously. So I don't remember like how it happened. I'm sure Ryan hit him up and it was just, that was just, it, it was done. and, and um, so then Todd joins the band, we're playing shows. And uh, I think now at this point, Todd moves moves in with me in the valley. We were living in Woodland Hills. Ryan was living in Hollywood. And jo- I don't know how long Josh stays in the band, but Josh never makes the to move down and then he ends up joining the military but uh so like the one thing is like so me and Todd live together and we just had one amp in the living room to like fuck with and I remember like walking into the living room and he's playing like the like the verse riff to roll with the punches and I'm just like what the fuck is that it's like I don't know dude I'm just like fucking with this thing and like it's pretty cool right and like I was like dude it's, it's insane it's, it's like one of the coolest things I've ever heard and you know being dudes that are into like crossover and fresh metal and and, and like all that shit and, like all those like late 90s New York hardcore bands that are playing all that thrashy crossover shit like it was that tremolo speed picking on a different level. Cause like who plays harmonics like that? You know what I mean? And, and he's playing this and I was like, this is, this is the direction we're going. Pff, everyone's going to get crushed with this shit. And so, uh, you know, Todd and, and Ryan, they, they do the seven inch, they, they ride it. Um, and so just for the record, I only wrote one song for Stand Your Ground on the demo and I can't believe it made it to the demo because I didn't know anything. But at this point, I never, I never contribute, uh, writing music for Carry On. Like I, I had wrote a few things here or there, but to be honest, like they weren't on this fucking level. Like they weren't on Jordan's level and they're definitely not on Todd's level. And, um, but I was doing things like artistically, like I did. A lot of like the logos and the t-shirts, record layouts. Um, I was contributing in that aspect because I also feel like if you've got five dudes contributing to songwriting, your shit's going to sound like a fucking potluck Chinese food buffet. You know what I mean? Like, it's just not going to be great because too many cooks in the kitchen. So... I feel like the the biggest skill is just
0: getting out of Todd's way.
1: Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like throw him your two cents and let him run with it. You know?
0: Yeah. I mean, like you you talk uh, about that, you talk about that song that you heard him writing. I mean, it's basically the, the first count me on the first count me out song of their LP played four times as fast, you know, it's like, Oh, we should do a song like that. Count me out song. Okay, here you go. Let me just smoke it
1: yeah you know, and uh so that happens but um i kind of I kind of missed a little era of of hardcore as well, so before Todd joins the band um or around no but yeah I guess maybe around the same time um nat joins the band playing drums. Uh, that dude, Jason played on the line is drawn with me, Jordan, Josh, and Ryan. And then shortly after he quits and, um, we get this dude, Nat to play drums. Now Nat was in a band called insist from King city, which King city is even more butt fuck middle of nowhere above Paso Robles. It's like way the fuck up there. And, um,
0: it's literally where you get a speeding ticket.
1: Yeah. It's like, you like you pull out you pull over to get gas or get a speeding ticket, and that's it.
0: Yeah, the town is just big enough to have a highway patrol station.
1: And they're going to get you. And um the whole band had relocated to the valley. Like Reseda or something like that. And um, they had this house and they had a garage converted um soundproofed garage and uh bands would practice there, bands they had shows there. I remember seeing um uh, faded gray and curl up and die there. I think maybe I saw Life's Hall play there with like Dirty Dirt in the Dirts or something like that. And then um Nick the bass player from Insist, like he worked at BYO and um the dudes were all awesome. They were they were awesome. And so when Nat joins Carry On, they were a insist was a three piece. So I started playing guitar. So, um, so he could, the guitar player could sing and um, play a bunch of shows like that too. But um, yeah, it was just like a little piece of, of the Valley where these dudes all came from, like where Nat comes from and stuff. But um,
0: yeah, so now it's, and the bass player dude leaves and, and joins missing 23rd
1: exactly exactly yeah i completely forgot about that too so amazing bass player um they're all 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 like good genuine guys and so nat's on drums uh me and talking guitar and then like the bass player situation is just like the never-ending cycle of just like what the fuck so we we go to san diego and record seven inch um, if I remember right, just Todd just played the bass On, on the 7-inch If I remember right But I don't know I don't know if Josh was still in the band or not or, I, I don't think so um, And uh, You know, Daniel and Rob And all those dudes come Don, everyone comes to do backups on the record and stuff And it was, it was a good hangout, good recording And um, The record comes out awesome so we're now going to do uh, a first East Coast tr- tour. Like we I think it was like intended to be like eight or nine shows, but a lot of shows get canceled and we end up just like staying at Donnie Mutt's house for like four days in Philadelphia. The other part was teamwork was supposed to have our seven inch ready for that tour, I believe. And it wasn't ready. So we didn't have a seven inch for the tour. Also American airlines lost our merch and our merch showed up like eight months later at our apartment. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Yeah. Good job. American airlines. So, but, um, that trip was awesome. When you're fucking, you're young and dumb, like just not being home and playing shows is like the greatest feeling. And, when you're playing with striking distance every night, how bad could it fucking be? You know what I mean? Like the, the trip was so fucking cool meeting all kinds of people. um, You know, uh, playing some really cool shows. And for me, I hadn't had my back injury yet. So I was still enjoying playing, you know, jumping around, having an awesome time. You know, I wasn't really a burden to the band, I carried my own weight. Um, funny story from that tour. So the the last show of the tour is at in Baltimore at this place called uh, Sushi Cafe or something like that. And it's um, this sushi restaurant has like a I think it was like a maybe like a little like discotheque upstairs, like a small little like dance hall or something that they rented out for shows. And this is also like I'm not that familiar with Baltimore, but it seemed like the wrong side of the bridge in Baltimore, you know? And um as as soon as the sun went down, the the crazies came out and like I was watching cars getting stolen from the parking lot, like this place was insane. So um Carry on's playing and Dave Bird smashes this dude. I swear to God, the kid almost went through a fucking second-story window and could have died. <laughs> and it's just like, it, of course, it was Dave Byrd, you know. And um, it was crazy. So we're supposed to go stay at Dave Bird's house that night, and um, the power power's out of his house. And uh, so we're like hanging out at a Seven Eleven, eating dinner at like. 2 in the morning or whatever and there's this fucking crackhead and he's just like giving me the craziest looks I'm just I'm bugging out like I'm gonna go smash this dude and Dave Bird's laughing at me I'm like ah oh, you're being fucking pussy. you calm down who fucking cares that dude doesn't want nothing like Dave's giving me the hardest time but in like you know a brotherly fun way and I'm like yeah right, whatever so like, I go like microwave hot pocket or whatever the fuck I'm supposed to be eating for dinner. Now we're like sitting out in front of the seven eleven and we've been here for a long time. And now this like tweaker crackhead dude is just like sitting inside of seven eleven and staring at us. <laughs> <laughs> and now, and now Dave Bird starts bugging out Y'all still comes out of my fucking <laughs> He's like kind of bugging out so now I'm like kind of talking shit to Dave and, and whatever like, like it, nothing happens nothing happens like no one does anything and so we go back and he was roommates with, with Taylor for Full Walls Fall and we got to hang out and meet that dude and, and hear some stories and shit And it was like it was really cool because you know my first tour on the east coast like now we're really seeing what it's like to like go into somebody else's hardcore scene and in and, and feel the love because you know like our show in Philly was awesome uh, we played I believe we played home base where Bear, uh in Wilkes Bear where, where positive numbers would be. Um, I believe we played there. maybe a different room or something, but um, you know, like our relationship would count me out and and now with striking distance and and just meeting all these people. Um Donnie Mutt, uh who I believe what was his band at the time? Intention, I think it was called um but he he played in a bunch of bands. Uh he was in one up and um and he played bass for us on that tour and uh just people bending over backwards to like help you know the hardcore scene was just you know just there to to do cool shit it was it was awesome it was really cool yeah what's
0: what's um, your th- what's your thought on uh looking back now with the the b-side labels for that 7-inch saying fuck
1: california well so all that stuff is like tongue-in-cheek, but not tongue-in-cheek, you know? Um, there's so many aspects to the fuck California thing that I think it was like some of it was directed towards some people, but then it was directed to like everyone because whatever you know like it was like we made that song fuck your politics so I don't think the intention of the song was to point a finger it was to tell people to stop pointing the finger at us you know what I mean I think it was like once again I could be wrong I didn't write the lyrics you know and I think I was a little uh Naive to a lot of things that were happening with the band because you know Ryan and Todd were so so much more involved, and I just kind of rode along with whatever a lot of the decisions were made. And you know, not like I hadn't, not like I would have made any decisions differently. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that like sometimes I was just kind of like, yeah, cool, whatever. And um, and we were so tight with like Life's Hall and. And dirty dirts and and all those bands and that song came out and and they were you know I don't know I don't know if you would call them you know a lot of people refer to them like the PC police or, or whatever and we didn't have any problems with them and then I think that they took offense to the song and suddenly these people that that we were super close with the, the bands that we loved had problems with us and was it self-inflicted? Yeah. I mean, you, you put your foot down, you know, or you put something in writing, you know, like you got to stand by it. So uh, I don't know if it was really like a, um, a stance on, You know, like we're gonna piss these people off, but it was taken a certain way, and 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 people didn't like us. Now, as far as like, I think what the those labels were intended for was the whole like metalcore scene. You know, it was huge; it was thriving. I mean, you know, throwdown show showcases sold out. You know, we're playing shows to like forty people at PCH Club, and at the time, I don't. I didn't care, you know, but I think it was like when say in my eyes or better than a thousand comes to town, those shows are sold out. Well, where, Who the fuck are you people? Where the fuck did you come from? How come you're not out supporting the bands that sound the same, that are coming from the same style, the same, whatever. And, and you know, it just, it just comes from the, you know, when you're when you're younger, you're full of piss and vinegar, and and you don't really give a fuck who you're going to piss off.
0: No, I know, you just I, know. Do I I feel you, but like that's kind of like those people that only supported those bands. It was like East Coast jocking, and then like to to do the fuck California thing, especially like on a New Jersey label. Is it was just I I, it always seemed weird to me, you know?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I don't think I ever put like. <clears throat> i put it together like that i don't think i ever like really you know I, I don't think it was really intended for you know maybe it was maybe it was maybe it was intended to piss off everyone
0: yeah you yeah, know could have um, maybe it worked maybe it just it, yeah. tri- it triggered me so it worked <laughs> but every, you know, everything everything triggers me i'm easy
1: <laughs> yeah but in the same turn too like I didn't want that record to be on Teamwork. I wanted it to be on Youngblood again. And the band was kind of divided uh, about going with Youngblood again or Teamwork. And, you know, Todd, how he liked Chris Kelly is the craziest thing on earth. But Teamwork as a label was awesome. And, you know, he was a like, judge. I really want to have a record on Teamwork. And so, you know, I don't think, I don't think Sean or Joe had any, you know, felt slighted for us, like putting a record on another label or anything like that. I I don't think they're that kind of people, but Todd really wanted that record on that label and, and we said, sure, you know, and then it was just kind of, I wouldn't say a mess, but pain in the ass, you know, records weren't done in a specific time, there was supposed to be two colors, the blue vinyl got pressed, like, who the fuck knows how much longer at a different time, you know, those records came out not even remotely close at the same time. Um, Chris Kelly was just a pain in the ass. Yeah, he sucks, um,
0: he sucks, not a friend of the pod.
1: No. So, you know, like, funny story about him too, is like, So 97 May comes out and, um, you know, we're all doing everything to to get them around the shows. Like, I don't think they had a van or something like for some reason, or maybe they did. And some, some of the guys went, went in their van and then some of the guys came with me and, um, I was living at my girlfriend's house at the time and she had this awesome house in Malibu. And so she invited them to come stay. She like, cooked them food, did their fucking laundry. They all had a bed to sleep in. Like, you can't fucking complain when you're on tour. Yet that dude was a fucking grouchy bitch. And then, um, you know, uh, some my my girlfriend slammed the car door on someone's hand. You're not fucking two years old. Move your fucking hand. Like, why is your hand there? <laughs> they were crying. They started like they started punching the seat that my girlfriend was sitting in. I had to fucking freak out on him because he was like scaring my girlfriend. And then we did like a, there was like a double show or something. I think that like headline and PCH were the same day or something like that. Okay. And I think we were at PCH and I, I, I think like I like threatened Chris or something stupid, but whatever the discrepancy was, he apologized and, and nothing happened. Like we shook hands or something and it was fine, but it just felt like just they were unappreciative. Yeah.
0: Like everything. why is there, why is there drama? No one's trying to slam your hand, dude, you know, come on. So,
1: yeah. So then,
0: so go the, ahead. well, okay. So the seven inch on teamwork comes out, you do this East coast tour and basically like everyone realizes like the force to carry on is now, right? Because the line is drawn. Seven inch is really good but it's like the youth crew hardcore, it is like more on the posi tip. And then it's, it's a slight sound change. And you guys are like sonically a lot more brutal. Um, and does the popularity feel like it's like pulsing on the East coast. It's not catching on as much on the West coast. Um, where do you go from here? Like you record the LP in the next year, correct?
1: Well, so the seven inch comes out. So now we like actually have the seven inch, and like you can tell that like it's definitely more like Right Brigade influence. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Um, and uh, so we do we do like a small tour with American Nightmare. So now this is we're meeting these dudes for their first time. They're coming to California for the first time. Chris Ren from Bridge Nine is with them, and of course we give them all the record and, and stuff and and. These shows are fucking awesome. And uh, this is also like when the time when Ojai Women's Center is starting to, to start popping off. And um, maybe because it's our like local thing, I feel like even the bad shows were fucking awesome there. You know, So now it's like, now we got this fucking awesome record. People are are really starting to to notice, and um, now we kind of have our own venue. You know what I mean? I think at this point, Laser Star's not doing shows anymore, and um, like the living room shut down, and so once again, we're back. We're back in the situation where there's not a lot of venues to play, but we have our own, and. Um, so now shit's really starting to, to move, you know? So now um, Bridge Nine offers to do the record and, and Chris is an incredible guy. Like, dude's just fucking, he's just go, 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 business, 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 but like so cool at the same time. Like, so stoked to work with you. So stoked to like, talk ideas and and so excited for this and that so um, at some point before we do the record I get hurt I fuck up my back really bad and um, I start missing out on a lot of things Um, but I'm not mad I'm not resentful or anything because at this point I obviously know I'm going to be good again at some point and, um, just keep going, keep pushing. So, uh, I had to miss out on like a West coast tour champion, a Ram from champion played guitar for me. Um, and then, and there, there might've been some other shows someone filled in or something, or, or maybe I finally started being okay to like play guitar, but I'm like, I'm the statue in the corner, like just frozen, just barely holding on to my guitar, but playing, you know? Um, so then we go to the East Coast and we go to record the LP with Kurt at God City, Kurt from Converge and awesome experience. Like now we're with an engineer producer who's from the hardcore scene, does everything about hardcore. And he's like, not really producing in the sense of like, you know, change these riffs or that riffs or or not really like changing the, the structure of the song. But I remember he told us that, that there was something wrong with off my chest. I think it was the breakdown or something. It was out of time. And it was kind of like, well, do you want to play it that way or do you want to fix it? And so Todd was like, Well, let's fix it. I think we spent an entire like eight hour day doing the drums to that one song because Lucas just couldn't unlearn how to play the song that he'd been playing for fucking how long. <laughs> and so poor Lucas, poor fucking Lucas on those drums. <laughs> and um, and it was we were recording real to real that was going to get bounced to pro tools afterwards, but you got to get all the material onto the real correct first. And Kurt just whips out a fucking razor blade and tape and just starts fucking dicing this shit up. And like, I don't know if anyone said anything like in fear at the time, but I remember staring at him and He's just, like, you know, total mild-mannered. Like, at the time, Kurt wasn't doing this as, like, his full-time job. Like, like Converge and the recording studio wasn't his full-time job. I believe he was, like, um, he was, like, an engineer. Like, he was designing parts for artificial hearts. So you're talking to, like, this genius motherfucker who invents pieces for artificial hearts to save people's lives and he's just fucking slicing and dicing like he's cutting someone open on a fucking two inch reel. Works out perfect. The thing fucking sinks up perfect. Boom, done. Record it. And um yeah, that's that was it. Sealed deal. So we um, on that while we're out there, everything was kind of timed right and um it was around Pausing numbers So we drove down And played pausing numbers And we also had played a One local show in Boston It was Fuck who was on it um, American Nightmare Bane um, Stop and Think There was uh, Was it like Panic played maybe? Fuck, I don't know. But the, the show was insane. The show was totally fucking insane. So then, so now we're like enlisting all of Converge to help our band. So now Jake gets hired to do our artwork. And so it's kind of interesting because it's like, you know, straightforward hardcore band hires this dude that does all this super wild art for their record. and And I feel like At the time, I was like, I don't know about this artwork. It's kind of crazy, but I think it, it was really smart because it fits the title of the record. You know what I mean? Like it's very fitting and it's just wild enough that it's not like hard to look at. And, uh, I think it definitely set us apart from everything else. You know, like we did the flash art which uh, Brian from Dark Horse, who he was at Spotlight at the time, he did the artwork and it's like, you can't get, you know, there's, you can't, you can't get a more perfect fitting tattoo flash artwork on a record. Like it it was so perfect, but every band was still doing that kind of thing. So it's like, you had to do something different. You couldn't just put a live photo on a record. You know, we already did that or we didn't do that. We did a picture of Ryan on the street, but, you know you you had to you had to come with something different and i think we were just we were just ahead of the curve or or outside the box you know to do something to fit that record and it and it worked out awesome
0: yeah it just added like a little extra depth like totally you know like there's a little more to this band than just being like a a straightforward hardcore band
1: yeah, so the band decides they're going to do an East Coast tour, and I couldn't go. Like I, I was under the eye of workers comp, and I, I, I had to be really smart about you know what I was doing, because so I couldn't risk um, my case. And I hadn't had back surgery yet; I was waiting on the surgery date. So John Westbrook is going to fill in guitar, and they do the the Death Threat Over oh, My Dead Body whole Conspiracy tour. Um, I'm sure it was awesome. I ended up flying out for the back to school jam. It was the last show of the tour, I believe. Just so I had something to do. And um so I went and saw them there. And then we came home and our last show was with American Nightmare Converge, Hope Conspiracy, Planes Mistaken for Stars, I believe, at the Troubadour. And this is possibly one of the worst Nights on stage ever Like no one's playing right No one's playing good Nick was fucking up songs Nick never fucked up songs And um, Yeah that was it We're done we play You know we're over with And You know uh, Nick mentioned that he heard it from me That we broke up Well it was funny because I wasn't living with Todd anymore And Todd was a little distant well, because we didn't live together, we didn't work together. We're not going to talk every day. But I wasn't hearing from them. And um, someone was asking me like if we broke up. I was like, I, I don't know. I don't think so. And it was talking to me. And I think it was like a week or two later I read it on the rev board that we broke up. No one even told me to my face. Fuck. So that was kind of weird. But if you if I were to say that I didn't see it coming like I'd be lying as well. So like like when i when i read it i was like oh yeah well that's obvious you know and then the whole like ryan selling out you know if i would have known from the beginning i would have quit at whatever point i would have heard you know i would have known about it because it's straight edge band not going to be a straight edge band that doesn't have straight edge dudes you know what i mean if it wasn't a straight edge band then it wouldn't fucking matter but um and I remember you know people were like, "Oh, I saw Ryan at the club drinking, and you know, and I'm thinking in my head, like well, I've been to clubs? I'm drinking water or a soda, like you know what I mean, like he's just having a fucking drink- like you know whatever he's just got a water, got a soda, got a ginger ale or something, and so I'd ask Ryan, you know, yo, you know, did you sell out? like, no dude, like people you know they just they just talk and so you know, I trusted him because you know what friends lie to their faces and stuff, so but I also get it. You know what I mean? Like people sell out and they just, they just can't trust the fact that like your friend is your friend. Cause they, they're your friend. They, they love you because you are friends, not because you know, you're a part of some weird underground fucking cult, you know? But, um, yeah. So that's kind of how carry on ends, you know? And, uh, it was, it was interesting because Todd at, Todd knew about Ryan. I don't know for how long, but I remember Todd had come to practice once just before he broke up and he had like these new songs and they were like, they were kind of out there, like a little too far past like the next progression of the band. And then like once the band broke up, I was like, oh, he just wasn't writing like he gave a shit about this or, or something, you know. But um, so everyone's still friends. You know what I mean? Like, it is what it is. Things happen. And um I think the first band that actually started post carry on was Vengeance. Um and then like piece by piece, might have been around the same time or or just very shortly after. But I I feel like I remember Vengeance being the first project to be post carry on. And um so, me and Nick start piece by piece. Um, or the, they might have had piece by piece and then kind of just asked if I wanted to be a part of it. I don't, I don't really remember, but, um, either way, it's like, hey, we're going to jam you want to come. So, I, so I, I now have my back surgery, feeling good, going to play in a band. And, um, you know, I think, uh, I want to say they recorded the demo like during the time I was having back surgery so like I didn't actually plan the demo but I wrote like a couple songs for it or one song or something Um, and then uh, shortly after that you know terror started kind of happening but I want to say like during the the start of terror Piece by piece put out a demo and we played, I don't think a lot of shows, but we probably played two, three, maybe four shows before that Pat's warehouse show with, um, with terror and knife fight and stuff. So um, piece by piece might've been the first, like actual band post carry on, but vengeance almost happened the um i i have some songs somewhere i don't know if it was like supposed to be for the demo if they were just like demo tracks to to just record the, the songs for songwriting purposes but it was cool you know i think the i think the music was rad
0: so who is I in think, who was in vengeance for the people fuck
1: i would assume i think it was greg bacon I think maybe Kevin Jaros, who was in Collision and then later did join Eternal Affairs. I think he might have played guitar. Uh, maybe maybe Chafee from Stand and Fight. And uh, was the also No Reply? Uh, maybe he played drums? Okay. Fuck, I, I don't really remember. Like I remember Todd gives me a t-shirt, like, yo, this is my band. So I had a vengeance T-shirt, and uh, and he gave me some songs. But I don't think it was intended to be released as a demo. I think maybe they just recorded them because they were jamming at Nick's house. Because at the time, everyone recorded or just used Nick's uh, soundproof studio to like play in. But that didn't work out. I don't think I don't think Todd was comfortable on the microphone. Maybe. Um, his voice was wild, like real aggressive, real wild sounding. And um I don't remember if they stopped just because Todd wasn't didn't want to be the singer or, or didn't want to move forward with that band or if they stopped because of the development of terror. I don't I don't really remember that timeline or or that wasn't part of any of that decision-making, but
0: yeah. So with piece, by, rem- with piece by piece, what's like the, the mission statement? Like when in those early days, like what's your talk? Like, what do you want to do with the band?
1: I don't really think anything. I think it, so. So it was, it was Nick, his buddy, Nick, this dude, Sean grind and Jeff Gibbons. So Jeff Gibbons was like our dude. So I remember like Carry On would go places. We brought the Jeffs. We brought Jeff Givens and Jeff Layton and the Jeffs would just fucking smash people. Just these these dudes just love the pit. And um and so I was like, dude, you play bass? And he's like, I don't play bass, like they're just gonna teach me the songs. I'm like, Alright, cool. And um it Nick was like a, Nick jet was like a real interesting character because I knew him through Little Anthony and Ryan Ober. Um, uh, little Anthony had a band called Fistful, and this dude Sean played drums in it, and Nick Jet happened to be the bass player. And uh, through all that, that's how we discovered Nick and and got Nick to play in Carry On, because I knew him through them, and so. I feel like when, when Nick was in carry on, Nick was always kind of like my dude, like we were actual friends Like we hung out a lot outside of, outside of the band and, and and we were pretty close. And so he's like, yeah, dude, I got this band just kind of like, like just old and and raw sounding. And I was like, yeah, cool. You know, uh, played me the songs and I thought it was awesome. You know, it was just, like, die, go, die, you know, it's just like ridiculous, you know. Um, and it felt fitting to me. Like, I don't know, like, I, I feel like I, I related to it because it was simple and caveman and, and I don't know, it was cool. And um, it just, I don't think there was like any kind of mission statement. Like, it, you, you would have thought, like, coming out of Carry On, There'd be like a different vibe, like a different drive to to do something, but I'd never really written music, I never wrote lyrics i I always contributed to the band in other ways, so I didn't really know like doing another band would I have to assume that role, you know, and I don't know if if I was prepared to assume the role of, like, a songwriter, you know? And I I didn't. Um, I think in all the time of Piece by Piece, like, so that band's been, that band's been a band for 18 years, you know? Um, I've only wrote and like written, like, I don't know, one or two songs for the whole thing, you know? So even with that band, I never really contributed musically. Like, Most of the time, Nick just records the whole fucking shit himself and just goes, yo, check this out. I recorded this. And (laughs) you just have have the next record handed to you, you know? Yeah. So it wasn't until Terror was doing things regularly that I found myself, like, writing music that I could have worked in piece by piece, I think. But I, I I wanted something for myself, and then, you know, like I named the band Eternal Affairs because it was basically my bullshit. It was what was going on in my head, like it was, you know, my music, my lyrics, and, and stuff. When I say mine, uh, not a hundred percent. Like I remember on the demo, like I'm sitting there working on lyrics, and Jeff Gibbons is like, "Oh, let me see that shit," and like took my lyric sheet and like filled in a bunch of lines. Like it, it basically just anyone who was around, I, I allowed to contribute like band members, non band members. Like it didn't matter. Like if you had something cool to, to contribute, you know, put it in there. And so that was kind of how, uh, internal affairs started.
0: Yeah. I think that's amazing. I think that Todd summed it up perfectly. Like internal, like if you had to like describe Corey with a band, what would it be? And it like, it would be internal affairs. And so like, if you think about that, it's like, fuck, you fucking nailed it, dude. Like how many people can like really like express themselves musically and lyrically through their band. Like, that's the biggest struggle you have is like, how do you make something authentic, you know? And like, you were actually able to do it. And maybe that is because, you know, you're going to shows for over 10 years um by this time, you know, you're playing in bands for over five years before this time. Whereas like your time like it was like all right, I've been uh you know, involved in shit, but now is my time to like step up and do it. Like maybe just the time was right and you had like the right amount of confidence, but you're still like young enough to go for it and all this, like it just all lined up perfect.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I think it's like like timing is everything you know, and, um, is it still on? Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Um, timing's everything. And, uh, like with the music, like even all the way through, like you can tell, like I'm not a songwriter. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. Like shit's out of time. No one's telling me like, Oh, it's got a weird count. They just fucking roll with it. Um, you know, and then, besides that, it's like the the era of hardcore that we're like moving into, you know, like it's beca- it's turning into like a time period where like you really can just do whatever the fuck you want, and if people are into it, you roll with it and and I, you can you can hear that like there's influences from like power violence bands and and you know, at the time. I felt like I was like keeping like fast hardcore in regular hardcore. Like, you know, like people used to use the term like record collector, hardcore, you know what I mean? Like, you know, you wanted to hear like a cool fast band well, they only played with like these cool guy bands or, or whatever the fuck and, and fit into this other weird niche world of hardcore. And I was just like, why is it that floor punch is the only band playing like, super fast songs or whatever, like everyone, everyone should still play fast songs. And You know, I just played them a little faster or, or shorter. I should say like, you know, some of the songs are just, you know, I I felt like, I felt like you didn't need an entire two minutes of first course, first course breakdown or something to get your message across, you know, and, and it worked out, you know, um, sometimes I'm like, I can't fucking believe people like this shit. Um, but maybe that's one of those things where that people are related to it or something because it wasn't cookie cutter. It was something weird and different. And, and you know, like we play shows and no one knew what the fuck to do. They're like, Oh, there's the mosh part. Oh, the mosh part's over. Like didn't mosh. Or, you know, like <laughs> I missed the mosh. God damn it. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> there it was, so it, It was weird But like Things took off quick Yeah And The other interesting thing was Was that For the most part Unless you're from California No one fucking knew I was the dude from Carry On So like We never shopped the Ex-member from this or that Like We didn't say it And nobody knew Like I'd get places or be on tour or whatever. And they're like, you weren't carrying on. I didn't know that. And you know, you look it up I played on three of the four records, but, um, so it was, it was definitely like something, something that I could put like all my heart and soul into. And
0: yeah. Cause you built uh, from scratch. Uh, you weren't like, you weren't riding a wave of something else.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Well, exactly.
0: I want to go all into that, but, uh, we're already at like over two hours. So
1: yeah, no problem.
0: Yeah, man. I think we got to do it again. Cause the internal affairs stuff, that's when we get to like the good story time and so forth, but I'm glad we spent so much time right. on like the origin got a touch the carry on stuff, but uh, yeah, let's do it again real, real soon. And uh, we'll yeah, do, man, I appreciate it. We'll do a part two for sure. Um, do you feel like all the way up to internal affairs you've been well represented?
1: Yeah, man, you know, like I feel like hardcore is one of those things that the average person owes it to somebody to give them credit for, you know, uh, getting into it. And I hope that I didn't forget anybody, but I I felt like it was important to tell a little story about all the important people that that got me to where I was or, or where I am.
0: Yeah, I think that was it was so nice, too, with like the Ohio tie in. Cause those guys were like so important to my journey as well. You know, like they were some of the first oh. people I met that were like, not from my hometown that were like way into something. And like, they were like way, way into it. I learned so much from them. It was insane, you know?
1: Oh yeah, totally.
0: So, and it's sick cause they're still going. I mean, Zarian's still in, in lecherous gaze and, you know, JP, I haven't seen, well, I saw him at the no motive reunion, but, uh, his uh, younger brothers are around going to shows, so it's like still there, you know. Like, actually, you know, let, let me bring this up um, to wrap the episode on this because I think this is an interesting topic, and I think you're a good person to speak on it. <clears throat> when you you predate me and going to shows by several years, but like I remember like starting to go in shows in like the mid '90s, and then even the late '90s, and it's like older dudes there weren't that many of them. It's kind of like if you saw someone that was like 26 or some shit, it was like, they were like the older dude at hardcore, you know? And it's fucking weird because like our generation, if you want to lump you and me together, there's so many of us that are still around. Like, I almost feel like the, the generation before us, like maybe like the, the people that got into it on, in like the late eighties, there's a handful of them that like ended up being lifers. But then like, our generation. Why is it there's so many dudes still involved? Do you have any idea, or do you have a take on that?
1: Yeah, I don't. I don't know because like the people that I knew that were older than me weren't really that much older than me. You know, uh, like Kevin Jaros. Dude saw minor threat in '83. He still goes to shows, right? So, you know, like he's he's of a whole nother level of. Of dudes that Stuck around Still go to shows But I think like When you put Like punk and hardcore in perspective Say in the 80s You know You're going to the Grand Olympic Auditorium For a show Like You're going Fucking 3,000 people In there or something. You go to the Palladium For a show uh, the, the country club I, I know Andrew said Something like Like 800 cap. I went there once, and it wasn't for a good show. It was terrible. But I want to say like it was laid out similar to the Palladium, but like half the size. So that place probably hold holds like 1500 people. You know. Yeah, Joe. Um,
0: Joe was saying he thought it was like a
1: 1200 cap. Joe was probably more accurate because he actually went there for actual real shows and shit. So, so episode one is probably correct on that one. (laughs) But um yeah um but uh you know there's 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 a few people you know but um i kind of feel like the post-hardcore thing kind of hold people away so you figure like the late 80s early 90s hardcore bands aren't like putting out third fourth fifth records you know what i'm saying so you got, you know, bands like Quicksand and, and, uh, I don't have any other good examples, but like, or like Zach going on to do like, uh, Rage Against the Machine, you know. So I think what happens is that at some point an avenue opened up and these dudes who were actually talented, incredible musicians had easy ways to move on and when say like your favorite guitar player from your favorite band is doing something else maybe you just fall in line and you you know you follow that that route and then you move on to something different I'm not really sure but I think like if you put in the perspective of our generation that that didn't really happen like there it wasn't like oh, my band got big with these couple rad records and then we're going to go to a major label or or we're just going to be so big that we don't got to play hardcore shows anymore. I mean, you can see that, it, that I don't know if I would say it failed with No Warning, but, you know, No Warning puts out one of the greatest LPs ever, never does a West Coast tour. I don't know how many times they toured around the East Coast or whatever, but, you know, and then they they made the move now, whether you, like, suffer, survive or not, you know, it's definitely a different step, into, you know, a step into a different direction, say, of blood, you know, and they didn't really have, they, they didn't, you know, become the next Linkin Park or anything, you know what I mean? Right, like,
0: right, right. They they still tried to stay, like, in heavy music, but it was, like, it was that direction. Yeah, but, like, but, but none of our, yeah, I guess... I think you're right. You're, you're touching on something like may like none of our friends bands, like, cause you have those earlier nineties bands. Like, you know, you turn into like the far sides or the game faces or, or these type of bands where it's like, it has like super hardcore roots, but it's like a coming out with a different sonic sound. I mean, just following, yeah. following Todd's trajectory. It's like, he's not doing his game face project. He do, he does fucking nails. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like the total, yeah,
1: like- total opposite he's just as extreme as you can get, you know, like, like you take people like, like the dudes in strife, you know, um, they, all kinds of doors open for them, you know, like, like, uh, he said, like, you know, um, metal blade reached out to him. Um, who knows what could have happened after this defiance, but they took those doorways and they just kind of like utilized them. In a hardcore fashion, like you know what I mean, like oh well, we're good friends with Deftones, so just sing on our record, you know what I mean, like we're right. not going to try and sound like the Deftones, but you can sing on our uh, on our record because you're going to fit into this song perfect. Or having Dino from Fear Factory do some guitar shit for them, or you know, like like they, you know, the the intro, outro, Intro shit on InstaFiance. You know what I mean? It's like, all right, so hardcore bands are so big now that they're getting publishing deals. So they're just going to abuse the deal, you know, and not really sacrifice the quality of the songs to satisfy the deal. They're just going to make up a bunch of shit to just meet the requirement. And, you know, it's, uh, so I think like, the doors that opened before are just different. You know what I'm saying? And and because people didn't just move on to play in bigger or different or other scenes, maybe people just didn't leave. I don't know. Or maybe we're all just fucking... Boozers that have nothing better to do. No, I'm just kidding. But I don't know what the fuck I would do with my time. Like I just like music, so I, yeah. you know, whatever kind. of it. But um, as far as like generational goes, like like Todd Tyler, that dude's been around forever, you know, and he's still out going to shows, collecting records, and and I don't I don't really have an answer to that other than obviously it's it's recognizable. I also feel like when you're that young, you're not really paying attention to everyone in the room. So sure. there might've been a whole lot of sure. other people there that, you know, they're just kind of like in the back of the room, not getting smashed by security or, or some 18 year old kid with a spin kick. So yeah,
0: yeah, you're um, right. You're right. I, I, I just think I it's a, it's an interesting topic and, uh, and I like, I, I like people's opinions on it. So anyway, I appreciate yeah, that.
1: Definitely.
0: Let's, uh, let's plan on, on round two. Very soon.
1: All right. Sounds good, bro.
0: All right. Thank you.
1: Later, bud.